Welcome to another edition of the TSN MMA Show. Your host, Aaron Bronstetter, joined by the greatest kickboxer in the history of this great country, Joe Valtellini. How are you, Joe? Hey, I like that. That's a new intro. I'll take it. Yeah, well, I mean, is, is it inaccurate? No, it's true. I would kind of probably expand it. I'd probably say the best North American uh, to ever compete. But uh, well, let's, yeah. let's take let's baby steps, great. Joe. Baby steps. Okay. All right. I know in my mind, still, it should be the best kickboxer of all time internationally. But uh, I'll, I'll, I'll take Canada. I'll take it as a compliment. So well, thank if you. It, if it was North America, like who are the best uh, kickboxers from the U.S. ever? I mean, you beat Raymond Daniels, and he's probably up there. Well, I mean, of uh, recent times, I, I would say the top uh, kickboxers have been Joe Schilling. Um, right now, there's a kid, Asa Tempao. He's oh, doing yeah, great, he's but not at my level still. Like, I mean, he had his chance to kind of match my uh, number of fights in glory to win a world title. But when he got to that higher fight, he kind of fell in his last one. But uh, I would say maybe Joe Schilling would be uh, up there now who's fighting in Bellator. But yeah, other than him, I couldn't say there's many others. There I mean, like... we also have a lot of good Canadians too. Simon, yeah, Marcus, Simon Marcus, Gabriel Varga, Josh Johnson, Matt Embry. We've had some a lot of... Uh, Canadian kickboxing world champions. So we got something special here in Canada. We've actually used more Canadian champions uh, in kickboxing than there's been American in the last 10 years, probably. Yeah, if not, that's true. you know, even longer than that. Are there any like kickboxers from 23, like 20 years ago or anything that I'm forgetting that the good American? Well, in Canada, this is the thing in Canada, you can say the other Canadian kickboxing legend would be Jean Yves Terrio, mm-hmm. who's one of the top above the waist style kickboxers of all times he had a little bit of trouble when he went into the low kick game so i would say from your classic traditional kickboxing which people think of the long pants above the waist the best canadian of all time would have been jean yves terrio okay he got he fought guys like ernesto Hoost. he fought you know some of the top uh you know kickboxers in the world so evie fought rufus a few times rick rufus you know a couple times so jean yves terrio yeah you should look him up he's, he's incredible Absolutely. Have you met him? Uh, no, no. Just uh, watched a lot of his old fights. So there's not like some Canadian. sort of underground Canadian like kickboxing society meeting that we don't know about where like you, Simon well, Marcus, Gabriel Varga, and Terrio hang out. We just can't tell people, you know? Oh, fair That's enough. Yeah, I get, I get it. I can't ruin it now. We'll talk offline. We'll okay. talk offline. Okay, cool. Um, if you can get me an invite, that'd be great. I mean, I, I don't really belong I don't there. I don't know. I don't know yet. We got to see. <laughs> All right. We'll I just want to get a fly on the wall. All right. So All main right. event this past weekend, Alistair Overeem, ageless wonder, speaking of kickboxing, a former K1 kickboxer in his own right, beats Augusto Sakai. Uh, the first two rounds, I think, were clear Sakai. And then three and four were clear over him. And then in the fifth round, there were no questions to be asked. Overeem wins 26 seconds into the round. I thought it was a good stoppage. Sakai clearly didn't have anything left. Yeah, I mean, those that ground and pounding from Overeem was incredible. I mean, you got to think that experience played really well. What scares me about Overeem still, and I think this is the problem when he fought someone like Nagano and stuff, like that shell defense he uses, you know, it works well that he's not getting hit because he's kind of holding his head. But it looks doesn't look favorable for him. So I think when he does it, I was kind of like nervous and being like, why is he backing up like that? But he uses it to his advantage. Usually it's, you know, it's the detriment to most people. Yeah, you know, I was watching it and I thought that Sakai probably won those first two rounds based on the amount of combos he was throwing, but so few of those strikes were connecting because of the shell defense. 
Yeah, but again, knowing that now, you're like, oh, okay, yeah, he's using defense. But when you're watching that, if you're a judge, you think Sakai's landing. He's he's getting damaging points because Overeem's just shelled up. So I think that's where a lot of those first two rounds, like I wouldn't have said Overeem was overly hurt, but those moments made it look worse. Well, and the problem is also at heavyweight is like if you're blocking combos, but you're taking a lot of uh, strikes, even if you're blocking them, it's still like a referee that isn't trained well could stop that fight. It wouldn't be the right yeah. thing to do, but it could happen. Yeah, and you got to think the first thing in kickboxing, especially Dutch kickboxing, that's the Dutch kickboxing style. They do use that high guard. You watch Robin Van Roosmalen. You watch Nicky Holtzkin. You watch Jason Wilness, Jafar Wilness. All the top Dutch kickboxers pride themselves in that high guard defense, sit in the pocket. So he's used to that style of defense. If I were to fight MMA... That is the kind of fight that I like to use. I like to use a high guard, but I use it a little differently than him. I wouldn't be backing up and just holding my head. But kickboxers are good at that. And usually the first thing they say when you transition to MMA is that defense doesn't work. So it's interesting to see even as a heavyweight over him use it. And Gaethje sort of uses that defense at times. Yeah, yeah, Gaethje uses it well. And you know who else uses it really well too? But he mixes it a little bit more creatively is uh, Kelvin Cater. Yeah, Cater right. uses the high guard really, really well, and that's why he gets good body shots. He's able to use his elbows because he's confident kind of blocking shots. Um, a lot of boxers use it, and but mostly kickboxers. But when you adapt it to other styles of defense, that's where, it can, in my opinion, it's more effective, and I think Cater uh, uses it really well. Absolutely, and that co-main event, Ovin St. Pru versus Alonzo Menafield, that was quite the counter in that second round. Menafield was looked like he was striking in bursts, trying to maintain his energy, uh, but St. Prue with, with a really crisp counter in that second round. And this guy just doesn't go away over St. Prue. He remains one of these guys that is just reliably good. Yeah, I mean, again, the experience. I mean, you can tell Alonzo Menafield, he's, really he, he's not really that young. I, I think he was in his, uh, what was he, 33, I think? Yeah, he's Maybe in even his early older. 30s, yeah. But, I mean, his record was impressive, but very predictable. I got to say, like, when you only have one big shot and you got to really lunge in to get it, I mean, when you fight a lot of lower-level strikers or less experienced guys, that's going to work, and that's where he gets his big knockouts. But they're big. They're predictable. Um, you can see them coming from a mile away. They're not set up great. So, I mean, I think he's uh, against the higher guys and more experienced guys. Menafield's going to have to change some things up. And Michelle Paheja, of course, uh... Always yeah. a, a pleasure to watch, but man, he looked great in this fight. He Not as much hot-dogging, and uh, you got to see just how skilled this guy was. Zalim Imadayev, not an easy fight, but uh, I mean, that referee call of the submission was a terrible call. I mean, let's just call it what it is, but that fight was only going to go one way at that point. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I liked what I saw from Pre, uh, Pereira. Is it, how, how do you say it? Pereira? I say Pajeja, because that's how Pajeja. in Brazil they would say it, because that's how you pronounce your R's as H's. Um, so I think it's Pajeja, but a lot of people call him Pereira. You're free to call yeah, him whatever we, you'd like. You're Joe Valdez. I, I, well, I know, because uh, we have our glory champion, Alex Pereira. We call him Pereira. It's probably so Pereira. I mean, Pereira. you might, you might want to ask him, but I don't know. Yeah. Well, we've been calling Alex Pereira from Brazil Pereira for the last 10 years, so it's hard for me to change it. But uh, he looked good, and I think he finally understood that he can't just get so wild all the time. And the fact that he kind of picked his shots a little bit, got set up some of those spectacular offense and uh, I think he's starting to look good. And I think he's that guy, no matter who you match him with, he's going to give people problems. I mean, he's that guy where you're going to have to wear him down, keep the pressure, but you are going to get hit when you fight him. It is 
no matter who you are, it's dangerous because he's good at managing distance, the unorthodox striking. But I think he's good. I was really surprised when I saw his record, to be honest. I think he had 11 losses on his record, which surprised me. Well, he used to fight it like heavyweight. He's like a 170-pounder, and overseas he would fight in whatever division they asked him to fight in. So I can understand why he has losses. I'd like to know what division those, those losses are in. He's still a young guy. He's only 27 years old, right? So, I mean, this isn't the guy that uh, has been around forever, but he has a lot of fights on his record. Yeah, I loved, I personally was really entertained with the slaps he was throwing because of the weigh-in. He wanted to get him back, which I thought it was fun. I thought it was cool to see him kind of be funny in there. Anyone ever slapped you, Joe? No, no. Well, I mean, in kickboxing, it's a little bit more difficult, I'd imagine, right? Actually, you know what, though? It's like, it's an open hand. It's still pretty, it's still pretty good. There's a lot of techniques. Like, I throw open hand hooks a lot of time. Like, I'll throw slapping hooks which, like, you want to kind of slap the ear. If you have that opening and you kind of palm and slap the ear, you can pop the, the eardrum, even with a boxing look. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So, well, looking, yeah, back no, at, I, looking back at his record, it looks like most of his losses are actually at uh, welterweight. So, uh, I mean, a lot of them are from, like, 2016. I'm assuming. I don't really know. I, a lot of the names I don't recognize are from fights that took place, like, overseas in the, uh, like, XFC, in uh, Ahmad, which is, I guess, in Chechnya. Those kind of uh, events that... Uh, yeah, so I don't know. He's, he, but, I mean, he's he's had a lot of success since, like, uh, the end of 2017. He's only lost, I guess, three times, if you want to count that, uh, that loss to Diego Sanchez, which was a uh, that illegal game. Illegal. He was winning yeah. almost all of that fight. So you thought that the, the submission at the end, you don't give the referee any credit for stepping in and stopping that? No, the Seeing guy didn't the tap. Fingers move, he didn't have hooks, so the guy didn't like have his taps. fingers kind of moved a little bit. He moved to defend almost... the choke, but the, the, if you know positioning, like the, the guy didn't have hooks in. He had no hooks, yeah. and there was no, like, it, the, and this guy tapped, you'd, you'd think that he would tap right away? Like, it was a, I mean, it was just a bad call by the ref. I, no, yeah. no way around it. The, the guy wasn't tapping. Yeah, it, it, but it looked... When I gave the referee the benefit of the doubt and I watched it in slow-mo, it almost does look like it. But like you said, the key is understanding. If you're a referee, you should understand the position, understand the no hooks we're in, understand that there's a few seconds left. You know, there's more bigger understanding to it. But in a weird way, it kind of looked like he did tap in that slow-motion angle. But you know what? The only people that are affected by that are, I guess, gamblers. I mean, there's 20 seconds left in the fight. That fight wasn't going to go like he has his back with 20 seconds left. He's won every round. I mean, yeah, the outcome's yeah. still the same outcome. It just wasn't a very good call by the ref. Yeah, yeah, I tried to give him the benefit of the doubt, but yeah, if that was a, a pivotal moment, that ref would have been in a lot of trouble. That's for sure. Yeah, like if if like Imadayev had won those first two rounds. Yes, exactly. Then he called the fight that way. That would have been trouble. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, we've got some events, uh, some really solid events coming up in the next couple of weeks. Uh, this this weekend's event, uh, not not the strongest event. I mean, it lost its main event, so you can't really, um, you know, can't really fault it. But uh, you have an, a new main event. It's Michelle Waterson against uh, Angela Hill, and uh, I like yeah. this. I like this main event because um, I'm glad that they they uh, let it go five rounds, and we are going to be joined later on in the show. I always forget to tee up our guests off the top, Joe. Next time I introduce you and say, "Hey, Joe, how are you?" Say, "Hey, Aaron, let us know what great guests you have on the show this week." Because that will right. help me a lot. But, but again, look how you started. The best kickboxer of Canada. You got me all excited, and then I would have forgot anyway. That's so. true. I pumped your tires a little bit too yeah, much. Yeah, you pumped me up a little bit. My head's too big to think <laughs> about other people. So we've got uh, on the show, we've got uh, Angela Hill, uh, Michelle Watterson, who are on this card, Kyle Nelson, the Canadian that is on this card as well. Uh, we've got Jimmy Smith, 
the uh, new yeah. host of the uh, Sirius XM radio uh, show, uh, uh, Unlocking the Cage with Jimmy Smith. And uh, Olivier Aubon Mercier joins us, and Gerald Mearshart joins us, although I might save that for next week. Jeez. Jeez. Yeah, we'll save Mirshar for next week. He's on next week's card anyway, so let's we'll we'll hold on to that, everybody. So if you want to hear uh, Gerald Mirshart, you can check that out. He's on uh, next weekend's card against uh, Hamzat Shemaev. Yeah, I'm sure you got a lot of good questions for him. I uh, he I actually asked him if you want to look up. There's a guy named Jay Ellis. He fought. He, he fights in like the Wisconsin regional scene, and um, his record in MMA is uh, let me pull it up here. His record is 15-93-0. And, and uh, he has beaten Gerald Mearshart. So I asked Gerald what happened in that fight. Because, like, <laughs> he's lost, he lost to this guy. So uh, there's a tease for next week. And I'm trying to get yeah. Jay Ellis on the show. I want to ask him how he can, like, why he continues to compete when yeah. he's lost, like, 20 fights in a row. Like, what, what yeah. motive? Like, I actually find it inspiring. I don't want to make... I'm not making fun of the guy. I think it's inspiring that he's willing to continue to, like, compete despite the, you know, lack of success. Yeah, I mean, after that many losses, I'd be curious to see how many are knockout losses, to be honest. So, I don't know. Who knows? I'd be curious, too. But I know uh, Gerald uh, Mearshart there. I know he's fighting uh, Hamzat, right? Yeah. And uh, I think that he was asked a few times because Hamzat got booked uh, potentially with Damian Maya. So, he was kind of like, are they looking past Gerald? That's kind of the big yeah, what do you uh, topic, think of that? it seems. I don't know. That, that I feel like the whole... I mean, you can see why the UFC would do that. The Damian Maia fight is something more spectacular while the, you know, while the iron is hot strike. So, I mean, it's, it makes sense, but it's kind of disrespectful, to be honest. It's That's a very, very disrespectful. disrespectful move. <laughs> so, I would be a little bit upset and kind of use that as fuel to kind of, you know, go in there and uh, just do some damage, ruin some plans. Well, you know, I said to Gerald, like, when I took a step back and thought about it, like, Shemaev wants to fight in two different weight classes. So if you look at it, it's like, well, you've booked him for two different weight classes. So maybe it's not as, like, you shouldn't take it as personally because it's not like they booked him, like, to face a top 15 middleweight after he fights Mirshad. They, they booked him to fight a welterweight. But at the same time, you're booking him under the assumption that he's going to be, like, okay enough to fight Demian Maya in whatever two months after fighting Mirshad or in one month after fighting Mirshad. That's the part I think is a little bit disrespectful. Yeah, I, I go back to my original point when we were talking about him. Um, I think they should pump the brakes on him a little bit. I mean, even Damian Maya, I get it. It's a good fight. But let him fight. Let him win. You know, let him build his build his star power. I think we got to see a little bit more from him. Um, let's be honest. The level of his opponents he fought, we can pretend to hype them up. But when it comes to UFC caliber, they're not the greatest, highest caliber. So, I mean, someone like fighting like Gerald will give us a big test to see if he's ready for the Damian Mayas, to be honest. Okay, it will. But let me just ask you a question here. So, let's keep in mind, Gerald Mearshart has, I think, the most submissions in the history of the middleweight division in the UFC. Yes. He's a legitimate fighter. He's been on the cusp of the top 15 for some time. What do you think the odds are, without looking, for this fight? Well, I would say Hamzat would probably be... He's got to be a big favorite based on what he's doing. I'm going to say minus 500. He's minus 550. So you're in, you're okay, in the ballpark. Geez. But, I mean, that, that's like what the expectations for this guy are. So, yeah. like, yeah, you can yeah. pump the brakes... But, like, the UFC doesn't tend to do these Bellator minus 1,200 fights. Like, they just, 
they, I mean, the last time they did win, the underdog won because that's how high the caliber of UFC fighters are. Is the biggest upset in history when uh, Shanna Dobson uh, beat Agapova. But when you look at this particular matchup with uh, Mirshart uh, and Chimaev, like this is a legitimate. Not, not that John Phillips isn't legitimate or the Reese McKee isn't legitimate, but Reese McKee was a lightweight that moved up and yeah. was clearly outsized. And John Phillips is like a stocky. Uh, middleweight kind of brawler that doesn't have a lot of a ground... He doesn't have much of a ground game at, at this kind of a level. It's not that high. So now when you look at a guy like Mearshart, who has A, a very good ground game, and B, a good striking game, like this is a good matchup to see where Hamzat yeah. is at. And it's also, I think, a matchup where Gerald Mearshart has a shot. And Mearshart's bigger, too. He's a, a legit mm-hmm. 185 or two. So, I mean, you got to think if Hamzat's going up and down in weight classes, he's not a legit 185er. If you're a real 185er, there is zero chance you're getting close to 170 pounds. So, I mean, that's that could play a big factor. His ground game being okay. Again, Mearshart, we know better on his back, more of a jiu-jitsu practitioner than a wrestler. But, I mean, he's got a chance. He's got a chance. He's big. He's durable. He's experienced. I mean... That's what I'm saying. I think we're going to get a, a good test from Mearshart to see where he is and kind of what level he's at. Yeah, and uh, Mearshart, I mean, like you mentioned, he's just a big dude. Like, that's the next thing. Yeah. Like, there's no shot he can make 170 pounds. Yeah, and that's a big boy. So if Hamzak can throw him around and try to move him, and then, hey, we got a, a big contender. But someone like me, I need to see a little bit more from him before I believe it. And you got to think, even the gambling odds, a lot of it's reflected by the media as well. Like when Conor McGregor fights, I mean, the odds always change closer to fights because Conor's talking, the excitement, the betting odds change. So I think there's a lot of hype coming from Dana White and – you know, talking about how great and spectacular him getting booked already with Damian Maya. So I think the media and, uh, you know, the, the gamblers are putting him as a bigger favorite than he probably actually is. Well, Floyd Mayweather minus 250 in bulking against Conor McGregor. Need I say more? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Thank All you. Right. Solidify my point. All right. Well, what else do we got this weekend? So you got Hill versus Watterson. Um, you've got uh, Otman Azaitar undefeated against uh, Kama Worthy. Now, Kama Worthy in his first UFC fight was like one of the biggest upsets in UFC history as well. He was like a plus 600 underdog. And then in his next fight against Luis Pena, he was around almost a 3-1 to one underdog. Now he's actually a favorite against undefeated Otman Az- Azaitar. So now uh, I-, I guess people are believing that Worthy is indeed the real deal. And I think he's proven that. Um, but uh, not, a- not a whole lot of really exciting fights on this particular card. I mean, I, I will watch it. I always say this, Joe, like... Doesn't That's matter true. who's fighting who. It's UFC caliber fighters. I will watch the event, and I, I'm excited about watching the event. But uh, there's just not a whole lot to talk about, for the most part. Yeah, is uh, I'm just quickly looking here. Ed Herman, the Mike Rodriguez. Is that the Mike Rodriguez who fought recently? About two weeks who ago. Got yeah. that elbow finish. Yeah. Okay. I was wondering. He's uh, he's part of Kelvin and then Tyson's crew, I believe. Yeah, he is. They yeah, he's, he's part of the Boston Lozon. cartel. Yeah. Bobby Green making a quick return. I've always liked watching him fight, so that's pretty exciting. Yeah, you're seeing a lot of people making, like, quick turnarounds. Yeah, I guess they need fighters, and now's the opportunity. And I've been hearing, too, which is great for, I mean, uh, my friend there, Angela Hill. She's the first black female to headline a UFC, which I think is great. And you got to think, I've known Angela Hill from her early amateur kickboxing days. She used to fight on my undercards years ago. So to see Angela, like headline a UFC, you know, kind of gives me goosebumps, to be honest, to see her go from that undercard, um, you know, and Friday night fights in New York to get seeing her, uh, you know, go to the ultimate fighter with zero experience to now, you know, 
get cut from this UFC, become an Invicta champion, come back, now headline an event, and she's ranked number 13. Like, that's that's pretty good. That's impressive. That's really incredible. Well, she, and she, she hasn't even been, like, I think she started at age 24 or 25 as, like, yeah. just, like, a regular, like, just gym, like, cardio gym. Yeah. She's taken fights on last notice against, like, girls she should lose, and she puts them into decisions. She's lost so many split decisions where it could have gone either way. So, I mean, I'm excited for her. I think this is great. And, I mean, Watterson, um, I don't know. She's an OG. So, I mean, I think it's going to be a, a good main event. I know a lot of people, you know, aren't overly excited, but I'm I'm really heavily into it. And uh, the other big news this week, Nick Diaz apparently is getting back into tip-top shape and wants to fight in 2021. What's your opinion on Nick Diaz potentially returning to the UFC? Well, I saw the picture. It looked like he was trying to do a, a weight cut to see how he is. But uh, I don't know. Seeing him, uh, I can, you can't really base someone off their social media. But I don't know. I mean, I'm really torn. I mean, the Diaz brothers are pretty good at getting everyone excited and hyped up. I would kind of like to see him come back just for the excitement of the sport. But I also hope it's not for the wrong reasons, you know, needing money or, you know, hope it's for the reason of him wanting to do it right and not just jump into big fights. And I know everyone talks so highly about being away from that in the sport that long. I don't know. But that's what makes it exciting. You know, that's what makes the fight fun. Uh, I hope to see him back. That's all I can really say. I think there there are only three opponents, in my opinion, that would make sense for Nick Diaz at this stage at 170. Maybe four opponents. Let's go four opponents. Oh no! Well, this is one eighty. Is he no one seventy? He wants to come back at right. So, It'd be one seventy. Yeah, let's yeah. let's. I'm gonna give you four opponents. Maybe you know I'll give you five opponents, and I want you to tell me. All right. You who you I'd can want. play matchmaker. Who would you want him to face out of these five opponents? Okay. Carlos Condit, Robbie Lawler, mm-hmm. Matt Brown, Demian Maya, and Cowboy Cerrone. Those are the five that interest me. I think, and and Anthony Pettis, I think, would be interesting as well. But, uh, yeah, that wouldn't be a bad fight. Yeah, like these are the kind of names that I think you want to kind of match Nick Diaz up with to see where he's at. Like, uh, you know, I respect Ariel Hawani. He's a friend of mine. But uh, he was saying he wants to see Nick Diaz face the winner of Woodley and Covington. Like, let's pump the brakes here a little bit. I mean, yeah. like... He was I, talking about the storyline behind it is fun, but I agree with you. No, you got to pump the brakes on that. Like, storyline or not, the guy hasn't won a fight in nine years. Like, let's, let's just be realistic about it. Let's be honest about it. His last win was against BJ Penn nine years ago. So if you're going to throw him in there against, like, the upper echelon of the division, like, and and I hate to do this because, I, you know, like, I, I don't want to tell someone when they should or shouldn't fight. But based on the interview that he did with Ariel, I don't know if it was early, early this year or last year, like, this does yeah. not seem to be a guy that is with it right now. Like, I don't know, maybe, maybe at the time he was under the influence of something or he, I, but just the way he was talking during that interview made me feel uneasy about him getting into a cage and fighting again. And it's not my decision. Like, I, I can't tell someone when they should and shouldn't fight or when they should retire. Like, none of that is up to me. It's up to the commissions. It's up to people that are in, in higher positions than anybody in the media. So far be it from me to say this guy, you know, I, I don't think that he should be fighting. That's not up to me. But it makes me uncomfortable. And that I can say just from uh, my own perspective. Yeah, I mean, there's always going to be that. And and looking back, like, even stories like Michael Bisping fighting with one eye and getting past commission. Like, how does he? How did he pass commission with one eye? I mean, he made, he became the huh? champion with one eye. So, I mean, yeah, like, how? Let's, let's... I, I almost got taken away from a fight because they said my 2020 wasn't good enough. Like, my peripheral vision was slightly off, which some doctor in a random backstage told me. And they almost took me away from a fight. And now someone's fighting with one eye? So I don't understand how a lot of things get passed in, in the sport. But, uh, I mean, 
you got to think he's a full-time martial artist, been around the game. I'm sure his training partners are other UFC fighters, so he kind of knows his level. But, yeah, I mean, it's their body, their mind. I mean, I mean, who knows? But back to your original question before I get, my answer as matchmaker, I think I would want to see, based on entertainment, Robbie Lawler. Robbie, yeah, that's the one I like, too. It would be like the 17-year like anniversary of their first fight. Yeah, second, I'd probably say Cowboy. That would be fun. Second, but now my number one answer is Robbie Lawler. I like Cowboy also because Cowboy, like, he's not really a natural 170. I mean, he's fought at 55 more often than 170. And at least if you're going to give Nick, Nick Diaz some sort of size advantage, you know, like, then you can kind of see where the guy's at. And that's what Pettis, yeah. same with Pettis, I think. Yeah. And I mean, and you got, I, I like Robbie too because he'll, he'll fight, he'll make it exciting. And we know, you know, Diaz doesn't back up from those types of fights. So mm-hmm. that could make it more Condit interesting. And Matt Brown also, like, it's a very similar situation. Oh yeah, I think all of those old school guys, and I've always, I've always been ranting to the new school martial artists. I'm like, watch some of the old school fights. There were some crazy guys back then. Watch like the Carlos Condit's fights, you know. Watch some of the Robbie Lawlers, the Diaz old school. Like those guys laid it out. They really laid it out there. And I think like a lot of the newer guys go fight to win and not to get damaged. But the old school mentality, man, was to get in there and inflict as much damage and beating as you can on your opponent. So, I mean, those are old school guys that still bring that old school vibe. I like it. And a couple more uh, quick notes. Uh, the UFC are going to hit the Fight Island, it looks like. Um, the first card will be the Israel Adesonia versus mm. Paulo Costa fight. And then the final one will be Khabib versus Justin Gaethje. So uh, Abu Dhabi getting some some incredible fights. Oh, unreal. I mean, they saved those nice ones. I feel after these two medium-sized cards here, we need, we need something big. I think Fight Island's got to bring us some big fights. Well, I will say next weekend's card has a lot of really good fights on it. It's a good way to end the, uh, the stint in Las Vegas. You got uh, Covington versus Woodley on that card. You got Chemaev on that card against uh, Mearshart. You've uh, got... Um, a couple other really interesting guys. Johnny Walker against Ryan Spann, I think, is an interesting fight. Mackenzie Dern against the Canadian, Randa Marcos. Uh, Nico mm-hmm. Price versus Donald Cerrone. Like, this is like a pay-per-view caliber card. If you had, like, one championship fight at the top, like, this would be a pay-per-view caliber card. There's a lot of depth on this card. I like it. And we need it. All right. And uh, Dana White says that uh, he is going to begin the taping of The Ultimate Fighter. It's going to make its return once they return back from Fight Island. Give me your two dream coaches for this. Hmm, dream coaches. Uh, I would like to see... I think there needs to be a little bit more style vibe to it. I think the coaches need to come back to something a little bit more entertaining. Um, I don't know, maybe someone like a Masvidal could be fun. Well, Masvidal Diaz, that would be my first pick. Like, yeah, I think a, Masvidal I think, would be fun. Yeah. I think but yeah, with Diaz, if Diaz would do it 100%, those yeah. would be the two. But I want some character. You know, like I haven't watched it personally in a long time because we're missing that character development from it that we used to get. And I think the coaches itself could be fun. And Masvidal's got that height, uh, heat and attention right now. But yeah, if you put Nate there too, that would I agree with you. That would probably be the perfect scenario. What you do is you have a BMF season of The Ultimate Fighter, and you go to every regional promotion and say, who's the baddest guy in your promotion? I don't care what his record is. We want him on the show. And yeah. like the promoter I'd even like one. someone fun like Adesanya would be cool too. Yeah, like, he's, well, I mean, a good he's, got, he's got his fight, but I guess by the time they start taping The Ultimate Fighter, he'd be done. But there's also like travel restrictions and whatnot from Australia, right? Yeah. So who knows? Well, just hypothetically, someone like him, I think, I'm, like, would be fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm with you on that. 
Although, I mean, the opposing coach, if it was him and Costa, that would have been awesome because there's like some real beef there. But he's going to be facing a Cannoneer or Whitaker next. Uh, I don't know about that. Like, yeah, you, Whitaker could be okay. The nice guy nah, versus, you know, nah, the more you wanna, comedian you, stuff. You, you need some entertainment on that show. And I'm not, yeah. not trying to take all anything right. away from Whitaker, but he's just like, he's, he's not going to get into it with Israel all that much, I'd imagine. Yeah, he'll just smile and laugh. Yeah, exactly. Which I like, you know, That's and he's it. an Ultimate yeah, Fighter veteran. For sure. I'm into it. All right, Joe. Well, uh, thanks for this. We'll be uh, we'll be back with you next week, and uh, let's get to our guests. So uh, we've got on the show, and we'll play we'll play these interviews in this order. You got Michelle Waterson, you got Angela Hill, you got Jimmy Smith, you got Olivier Aubon Mercier and Kyle Nelson all coming up on the show. I'll save Gerald Mearsharp for next week. Why not? Let's uh, a little bit of a palate cleanser. You can listen to his interview with Ariel this week. It was very good. Um, so let's let, you know we don't want to we don't want to oversaturate the Mearsharp market. We'll do it next week. So uh, thanks for this, Joe, and uh, enjoy this weekend's event headlined by Michelle Waterson versus Angela Hill. It's on TSN, and uh, we'll talk to you next week, Joe. Here are the interviews uh, that I just mentioned on the TSN MMA show. It is her third main event in the UFC. It's this weekend on TSN in Canada. Michelle Watterson taking on Angela Hill. A five-round fight. This is a short notice. It was just made into the main event about a week or two ago. Why five rounds uh, and not stick with three as originally scheduled? Um, well, it's main event, you know? And and, and you got to go five for a main event. we got to give the fans what they want. And um, I'm always, always, always up for a challenge. And I know Angela is as well. So why not? Well, yeah, I mean, five rounds is uh, good for fighters to have good cardio. You and Angela Hill don't seem to have that issue. <laughs> would, what would people be saying if we didn't take the five rounds and we only took it three? I don't know. That's a good question. But we had, um, I guess, uh, Alexander uh, Rokic and Anthony Smith went three rounds recently when they were in a similar situation. So I don't know. Nobody seemed to make a big deal of it. I don't think so either, you know, especially being one week uh, before the fight. But like I said, I love to rise to the occasion, take that challenge. And, and to me, it's, it's an advantage. I get 10 more minutes um, to win the fight, you know. Absolutely. And I pointed out uh, a fact about you. You've never lost in the UFC to an older opponent. So uh, you have that going for you. But on, on the flip side, you've also never won a fight where you've been outstruck by an opponent. And Angela Hill is, is really good at, at putting out volume in her fights. So is yeah. that something that you're going to look out for? I mean, being a karate stylist, it's hard to do, uh, you know, volume fighting. And the judges seem to look at volume as a, a way of judging rounds. Yeah, you know, I think that it, it can be a way of judging the rounds. I think that I've gotten to a point in my career where I understand what the judges are looking for. They want to see who's going to be able to inflict the most damage. And so that's the, um, that is the mission on Saturday. Now, you've long said you want it to be the first... Uh, mom to become a UFC champion, but Amanda Nunez's partner Nina Ansarov is expecting pretty soon, so the timeline is starting to narrow a little <laughs> bit. Uh, do you still think that that's a goal that can be achieved, or are, are you kind of letting her have this one? Well, I don't want to take any excitement away from Amanda Nunez and their and their new baby, but I guess um, my, my idea of being the first mom champ is actually having gone through um, growing the little baby inside of you and and having that baby. So I mean maybe maybe Nina when she comes back will be in the running for that for that title, but we'll see. 
Absolutely. <laughs> I'm well, hoping I can get to it before she gets. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's very exciting for uh, Nina and Amanda, for sure. Um, so with Angela Hill, uh, what have you thought about her performances recently? She's been very, very active. Uh, I thought that she won her last fight. I don't know if you agree with that. But uh, what have you thought about her performances? I think that she's on a roll. Um, she's She was really hungry and eager. And I think that she kind of found found that sweet spot of what is what works for her you know taking last minute fights so she doesn't have to think about it so she doesn't have to worry about the pressure just go in there and fight um with that being said though i think the caliber of fighters that um i fought versus the caliber of fighters she's fought um recently has just been a, a tougher you know my last two fights were against previous champions and um my last fight was controversial as well Either way, we're both very hungry to fight for this uh, for this victory, and and that's what I look forward to the most. Is is I know that I'm going to be getting the best Angela Hill that there is. It seems like Carla keeps calling you out and wanting to fight you again. Is there some sort of animosity between the two of you? Not at all. And I didn't even know. I don't pay attention to the social media as much. <laughs> I don't know what is she's saying. I think she wants to to have a rematch. I don't think she was pleased with her performance in that fight or something along those lines. I might I might have my wires crossed on that one. But uh, I don't think either one of us was pleased with the fight. You know, it was the first fight um, to have happened at, uh, during the pandemic. First sports event to have happened during the pandemic and it, it was kind of a dud of a fight but um those are things that are you know out of your control um definitely would love to be able to rematch um carla i thought she had an amazing performance in her last uh go um against an up-and-comer so she did amazing did the uh I guess the crowd not being present impact that, do you believe? I mean, you're a fan favorite. I'm sure that you uh, often fight with the crowd on your side and, and you're used to that. I do. I love hearing the crowd. I love hearing, uh, I love um, taking the energy from the crowd. Uh, but with that being said, uh, a fight's a fight regardless of where it's at. Um, and so um, I, as a professional fighter, I need to be able to adjust and adapt and overcome. Did you think that Angela won her last fight? I think it depends on the type of fight that you that you're looking for. If you're, uh, you know, I think that her her striking was good, and because she's a volume fighter, sometimes it might look like um, like she's winning. But I thought Cla- Claudia did a good job at um, controlling um, controlling the cage, and and she Claudia was the one that was um, putting the forward pressure on the fight. So depending on the type of, of fight um, you're watching, are are you? And, and what you're basing the fight on. Are you basing it off of cage control, um, forward pressure, uh, takedowns? Are you basing it off of strikes and damage? It really depends. It, was, it could have gone either way. I'm going to throw a hypothetical at you. If the UFC opened up an atom weight division, would you move there? Um, I think it would depend. It would have to be worth it. I think that the, the strawweight division is, is a stacked division and it's where I want to be because it, it, um, the competition is high and I love, um, to be able to challenge myself. Uh, but for sure, I, I would not leave any, you know, I would not leave any doors closed or, or, or I, if the opportunity presented itself and it was worth it to get down to 105 to fight for the belt, um, maybe. Outside of yourself, because obviously we come with a strong degree of bias when it comes to ourselves, who do you think would be the uh, biggest challenge for Zhang Veili, the champion right now at Strawweight? Um, Rose. That's probably the next one. So why do you say Rose? I think Rose is the uh, uh, one of the most well-rounded fighters, and um, 
she has her head on right and and when she gets in there and when she decides that she wants to be um the champion she she will you know and 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 so i think for rose it's just one of those things that if it's like if it doesn't suit her personal goals and agendas and i'm just speaking you know from the outside looking in then um then um she isn't as motivated because that's not what's in the forefront of her priorities and she's just She's just such a, a transparent human being and is is open with the world about those things. And so, um, but when she does decide that she wants to go in, step into the octagon and be vicious and be that, be that champion and 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 be that that hunter that she has within her, then um, she's capable of a lot. Now, the subject came up a lot with uh, Alistair Overeem last week, and of course, Alistair Overeem's in his 40s, so I don't mean to put you in that spot. But uh, he was talking about seeing the finish line in terms of his career he says he wants to do two or three more fights where are you at in, in terms of how much longer you want to continue uh competing in the ufc and in mma as a whole you know i've been fighting for quite a long time um 13 years going on 14 years now and i love it it has given me the opportunity to uh face my fears to learn and understand things about life that I don't think I ever would if I wasn't fighting to, um, to, to put my failures, um, on the forefront for the world to see and for, for myself to see and to, to learn and grow from them. I will always be a martial artist. And, um, right now my goal is to get to that belt and I, I don't have a timeline. Um, I want to, I want to get to that belt and I know that I'm still, um, I am still pretty young for, for the sport and I am still in my prime and I am still continuing to grow and evolve as a fighter. It would be different, I think, if I was stagnant, if I wasn't adding to my tools, if I wasn't continuing to grow, if I wasn't still hungry. And I think that can only be told by an, in, uh, by an individual basis. If you, if you aren't hungry, if you aren't getting those butterflies, if you aren't getting nervous before you step into the octagon, then maybe you should start thinking about what's next and you were right there like uh i guess it was about a year ago you were you were right in the title mix uh, what's it going to take to get you back there do you think how many more wins uh angela hill is uh, an opponent that i think has a lot of uh steam behind her right now um what what would you have to do from there i think beating angela hill for sure uh, it you know the division is kind of at a standstill at the top because nina is 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 you know, expecting a baby, and then um, the injury from uh, Tatiana, um, and then you know, obviously with Rose getting her nose broke, and then the uh, the pandemic and Wei leaving in China, so there is a bit of a standstill. I I, I believe after I beat Angela, and um, maybe one more fight, and I'm right there. Who do you think that would be against? You mentioned Nina's out, Tatiana's out, uh, Joanna. I don't think wants to take a non-title fight. So, like, who who's left? It would, you know, potentially be a rematch with Carla, I would say, or gosh, I don't even, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, Amanda Hibash is starting to make some noise. Is that an opponent that you think uh, you'd fare well against? I, every, every girl in the in the 15 division, I I keep an eye out on, you know. But I don't want to take a fight if it's not going to get me closer to the belt. So you're looking to face opponents that are ranked either similarly or or, or above you from here on out. Yes. 
And I think that you've earned the opportunity to be picky. I mean, at this age um, and how long, like you mentioned, 13 years in the sport, uh, as a veteran, I think that you have afforded yourself that luxury. Uh, it's just like you mentioned, the division is starting to have a little bit of uh, flux at the top because there's, there are so few fighters that are, are able to compete right now. Yeah, and uh, so we'll see. We'll see what happens. All right. Well, we're always looking forward to uh, seeing you compete. It's the main event on TSN yourself. Angela Hill should be a fun one. Five rounds. Uh, and you can check it out up here in Canada on TSN. Thank you. Appreciate your time, Michelle. I appreciate your time, and thank you for the questions. She headlines this weekend's UFC Fight Night card on TSN up here in Canada. It is Angela Hill taking on Michelle Watterson in the main event. The first black woman to headline a UFC card long overdue. But what does that honor uh, and distinction mean to you? Um, well, I feel like we have to specify a black American woman just because uh, people will get kind of um, people people will be like, hey, what about this person, that person? So I, I want to specify that first. Um, but it's it definitely means a lot to me just because um, there I feel like there's a deficiency in black black women in the sport. Like you see every other. Uh, demographic represented, every other country represented, but when it comes to like uh, Black American women, um, you don't see us that often. Like it's always kind of nice when I, whenever I see uh, a Black girl fight, I'm like, oh, oh, okay, yeah, get it, get it, because uh, I don't know for whatever reason, um, it just hasn't, we just haven't embraced it yet, and I think the more you see people like me, like, uh, like. Uh, uh, Shanna Dobson and uh, Sajara Eubanks, um, the more you see girls with the same background uh, actually making moves in the sport and actually like getting somewhere, then it encourages the next generation of fighters or maybe maybe uh, girls who had hung up the gloves but still have one more uh, one more go left in them. Maybe it encourages them to get back into it and try to make a name for themselves as well. What do you think has been um, the impediment for more black women to get into uh, not just the UFC, but MMA as a whole? I'm not sure. Uh, there's a lot of things. Uh, one thing is that women in general aren't really encouraged to be athletes. I, I think another reason is just the money that it takes to get into MMA. Like if you want to join a good jiu-jitsu school, that's that's that can be um, upwards of a hundred bucks a month. Same with uh, Muay Thai or or any of the martial arts that do well in uh, in MMA. Uh, so there's always that disparity there. Like a lot of uh, just Black Americans in general, they don't have that much disposable income. A lot of them aren't. A lot of women aren't coming in with a wrestling background. That's what you see a lot with the guys. Like they come in with this like collegiate wrestling background, um, and that helps them get their foot in the door. So it's it's uh, there's there's a bunch of different reasons I feel like where. Uh, where you don't see black women embracing it as much. And I think, I think it's just an avenue that we also don't really think exists. You know, like uh, when I was an artist and I wanted to become an animator, I didn't see many animators that looked like me. So it, it was kind of hard to convince myself at times that this was, uh, that this was an environment that I would thrive in. And I think the more, that's why representation matters because the more you see someone actually doing well in something that is not really 
stereotypical uh, for for someone that looks like you or comes from your background, comes from your from your neighborhood or whatever, then it makes it makes that possibility a little more realistic. Like, oh man, I I I, I probably could do well in this thing that I'm passionate about, even though none of my friends do it or nobody that I know personally does it. You know, just because. And you know, this is something that I want to do. So, so I, I think uh, just visibility helps, and I think um, just you know, being being out there and sharing my story helps a lot too. And your story is a great one. You uh, started very late <laughs> in life in terms of martial arts, and you're a natural, yeah. and have now you know excelled to the fact to the point where you're in the main event of a UFC card. Does it feel like this has all happened like really fast in your life? Because in reality, it has. But does it feel that way to you? Um, I, I, it, it's weird because my life before fighting feels like a lifetime ago, you know, like, uh, I, I was 24 and I was an artist that had no muscle and, um, <laughs> a little more boobs and, uh, and yeah, like, uh, fighting was such a foreign thing to me. And I, when I took my first couple of Muay Thai classes, I really enjoyed it, but I never thought it would be a profession. So to think of myself back then and, 10 years later, what I've done. Uh, yeah, it's, it's fast. Um, but I think when I was in it, like maybe halfway through, like me in three years, me three years of training or me five years of training, I was always impatient. I was always thinking I'm not improving fast enough or I'm not, I'm not getting anywhere with this or, or, uh, nobody's noticing me, even though I've won 16 Muay Thai fights in a row, you know, like, uh, it always, you always feel like things aren't moving fast enough until you look back at what you've done and then you're like, man, I actually accomplished a lot in, in this past decade. So, so, uh, so yeah, it's pretty cool. And I think, I think with the women's MMA in particular, you can, you can make a lot of head way in a short amount of time as long as you stay focused and and you keep uh grinding towards that goal just because we're still kind of new we're still we're still figuring it out we're, we we don't have generations of of uh athletes to pull from a lot of us are the first people in our families to do it um a lot of us started later in life uh just as a workout like i think majority of uh, women's MMA fighters were just doing it for fun. They never had an intention to be an MMA fighter until they saw it and they were like, Oh, I already have this skill set. Let me apply it to fighting. So I think, I think now that the next generation of, of women are growing up with idols like Ronda Rousey and, uh, and uh and Amanda Nunes and stuff like that you you've seen a lot of uh a lot of younger athletes come in and they already have like that mindset of I'm going to be a fighter so they've already been thinking about it for a long time and uh and wait what was the question I forget the question was <laughs> No Angel you talked for a long time I'm trying to remember the question myself but it was <laughs> it was just about how fast things have gone like how if if it really seems oh. like this has been a real whirlwind for you Oh, yeah, it, it has gone pretty fast, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I had a funny conversation with my wife last night. I, I've been covering the sport for years, but she's watched maybe about five cumulative minutes of the UFC in her life. Uh, I always joke that if Conor McGregor walked the door, she'd have no clue who he was other than like a guy with tattoos. <laughs> but uh, yeah. I mentioned in passing that Dana White had spoken at the RNC, 
And she said to me, are there black fighters in the UFC? And I said, well, you know, Angela Hill's headlining this weekend. Um, she's a black woman. And she said, well, what do the black fighters in the UFC from America think of Dana White speaking at the RNC? And I said, I don't really know. Mm. So I thought I'd ask you, do you have any particular thoughts or opinions on that? Um, you know, I, I get that he's, they, they have a history. So is just the fact that he, that Donald Trump backed the UFC uh, way back before the UFC was really a thing. I feel like uh, I feel like Dana's kind of been tethered to him uh, the entire time. So it's it's definitely not my favorite thing. Um, but like like he said, uh, he doesn't give a shit about what anyone thinks when it comes to who he's backing or when it comes to the fact that he's for Donald Trump. So uh, I, I'm. I'm happy that he also doesn't give a shit that I don't like that, you know? So, so it is what it is. It's kind of one of those things where it's like, damn, that sucks. But it, it does, it does feel like a business decision. And, um, you know, Dana's, Dana's done things to help, uh, random people where I don't feel like he is as much of a, I don't know. Man, I don't, I don't, I gotta pick my words carefully, but uh, yeah, everyone thinks. I totally that. understand. I mean, I said the same thing to her. I said it's political, yeah. but it's kind of not. Like it's, you know, yeah, he's yeah. not like a registered Republican. He's never been involved in politics. Um, yeah, and like you said, he he has no problem with what any of the fighters say, as long as it's nothing like over the top derogatory. Um, yeah. So. I, I kind of understand that, and that's that's kind of why I wanted to ask you. I wanted to see if there is a, a strong opinion one way or the other uh, regarding that. But I do think, like you mentioned, I, and I said the same thing to her, he's done a lot of things to help uh, people that are in need that reach out to him and, and has done a lot of good things. So it kind of seems like an interesting circumstance, so to speak. Like, I mean, if, if like Mitt Romney was president, you're not going to see Dana White speaking at the RMC, RNC. Right? It's not like he's this, this uh, loud Republican guy. It just happens to be an yeah. interesting circumstance. Yeah, I think I think Dana's a businessman before anything, and uh, it, it's a good business move for him. I think uh, I think his relationship with Donald Trump is part of the reason why we're able to put on shows right now. Um, I think he's done a lot of favors when it comes to that, and just being being able to like us being able to be in a place where we can put on shows about. Um, worrying about it getting shut shut down because of the pandemic so um so yeah i think dana's relationship with the president uh is the definitely part of the reason why ufc is going on right now so he's definitely paying respects for that um but yeah i don't know i i i think i'm pretty vocal about the fact that i i don't i'm i'm not a fan of donald trump and um I don't know. It, it, people, people get upset when you say it outright, but I think anyone who's been paying attention uh, to just the things that are said in public, I, I think that alone is a good reason to dislike him. You know, I, I don't, I, I, I feel like he's made a very divisive environment in America. And I, I think a lot of, uh, a lot of the rise in just like um, hate groups can be attributed to his rhetoric online, and that alone, you know, like I, 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 I can't, I, I, I don't keep up with politics like crazy, 
Um, but just that alone just breeds such a scary environment for anyone of color, anyone, um, you know, coming from uh, any immigrants, you know, just people coming from a slightly different background. Uh, it, it's just been a more scary environment lately uh, since he's since he's been, you know, on the presidential Twitter account, you know? So, uh, so yeah, I think that alone has made me uh, dislike him and whatever good things he's doing. I feel like, I feel like uh, his, his, uh, I feel like his words, the, the words that he's speaking are more hurtful than, than anything else. Um, so yeah, it's 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 definitely like a weird environment right now because of the Black Lives Matter movement and because the election coming up and and just uh you know the the way the uh pandemic was was uh was taken care of um it, you know that it's it's just a very weird time right now and I think if anything people are are being forced to pick a side and being forced to, you know, not be on the fence and, and be like, Oh, well, I'm just not going to vote or, Oh, I'm just not, I'm just going to ignore everything that's going on. Like you, you still have to keep track of it a little bit just because um, things are happening in your neighborhood now, you know, it's not just isolated events. It's like every day something crazy is going down or some, some people are, are getting hurt for no reason or, or getting attacked by, by uh you know protesters or anti-protesters and it's just like it's yeah it's it's just nuts right now so it's it's hard to uh it's hard to focus on on everything when i have a fight coming up and uh i i actually feel guilty for not being able to like do my research and have like exact points of reference of why (laughs) why this is happening or that is happening. Um, but, but I'm just an athlete and I feel like, I feel like a lot of people are in that position position where they know something that someone is saying is wrong and they shouldn't be saying it. But at the same time, they don't have the resources to do the research to, to prove everyone wrong. So they just have to go with their gut. And my gut is telling me that there, sh- there shouldn't have been a Muslim ban. There shouldn't have been uh, kids locked up in cages, uh, you know, just for trying to cross the border. There it shouldn't have been um it shouldn't have been said that there were good people on both sides when white supremacists ran over protesters you know like little instances like that have just left a horrible taste in my mouth and i always think if it was if president obama did a fraction of what donald trump was how fast would he have been impeached so um so yeah it's it's just a a lot of I think America has been exposed for for w- w- where we really are. When, whereas when Obama was president, uh, it was easy to it was easy to say that racism didn't exist anymore because because we had a black president um, and a very left wing president. Um, so so I think uh, I think with Donald Trump being elected, it was kind of. Uh, 
I think it was a reaction to that. Like we had an extremely left president. We had a black president. He was very open. He was very um, he, he was very much for the people. Um, and then when you have Donald Trump come in, it's just like the complete opposite. You know, he's very right wing. He's very much for pro business and pro millionaire. And uh, and and. Uh, yeah, it just showed people like this is what happens when you take your foot off the gas. This is what happens when you relax and you expect a president to take care of everything just because he represents the same views that you that you believe in. Like you can't he's that's that's not enough. You also have you have to pay attention. You have to keep track of everything that's going on. And uh, and yeah, you have to I don't know, get involved if you really want to change. And last time I'll bring up my wife. I mentioned her yesterday. The comments you left on Michelle Waterson's Your wife Instagram. Your is going to get me in trouble. No, no, I'm just saying. <laughs> I mentioned the comment you you left on Michelle Waterson's Instagram. The uh, I can't wait to punch you in the face. You got a kick out of that. But when I, when I look at this matchup, there's two things that Michelle Waterson has uh, on either side of of this matchup. She's never lost to an older opponent. She's three and zero in the UFC against older opponents. You're about a year older than she is, but she's also never. <laughs> Uh, beaten anybody who's landed more strikes than than she has and given oh, that she's more of a karate fighter and you, you're one of the best volume fighters in the, the, the strawweight division I think that bodes for you as well is that what your your plan is is to kind of overwhelm her with uh, with strikes and I mean one of the things with karate style fighters in the UFC is if they don't get a finish a lot of the times they're going to lose on the scorecards because they just don't throw as many strikes as mm. um, the fighters of another style yeah, I think I think Michelle's best game plan against me is to try to get that hip throw. And that's something that I've worked a lot on defending. And, uh, you know, what happens, happens. I don't think she'll get me with it, but it's always a possibility, um, especially because I like to clinch a lot and I like to throw elbows from the clinch. And, you know, if you get lazy there, there's always a chance that they can, like, just throw their stupid hips, especially when she's uh, a little shorter. So, um, so I think that's her best game plan against me. Uh, when it comes to striking, I feel like I'll be good at drawing out her strikes, drawing out her like uh, karate kicks and chops and stuff, and uh, and just coming back in with uh, power and volume. So I I do feel that feel that I have to like throw a lot of volume, you know, and and I always throw volume, um, but I think the fights that I've lost is when the my opponent has been able to keep up with me a little bit. So even if they don't throw as much, um, when when I lose those decisions, uh, for whatever reason, uh, you know, uh, they're, if their punch count is close to mine, even though I threw more, if it's close to mine, then a lot of times they'll get that decision. So I have to blow her out of the water, basically. I have to throw three or, or four times as many punches and kicks as she is and um and you know that's that's pretty much my goal is to try to tenate her every round like that's that's been my idea since i got out of uh, since i got back to san diego it's like next fight whoever it is 10-8 10-8 i got to get that 10-8 and um and the only way to do that is to throw as much as possible and to just keep that pressure on and not give them a break uh, a lot of the times i'll take my resets while they're taking their resets and I shouldn't. I, I should just keep going. I should just keep them uncomfortable, stay in their face because I know I can. It's just 
when you're when you're in there and your body's telling you, hey, you should take a break. You know, it's, you have a choice. You have a choice to listen to it or not. And um, and I'm going to try to make the choice as often to just say, shut up, body. We're doing this, you know, <laughs> and win the fight in that sense. So, um, so yeah, I'm excited. And I and I feel like I, I definitely don't fight like an older fighter. Like I, I started, like you said, I started at 24. So um, so my body's pretty fresh. And I and I've I've been fighting a lot less time than Michelle, but I feel like my my style has evolved a lot faster than hers has. So, um, you know, she I feel like a lot of fighters, they they fight for a long time. Like she started in 2007. They fight for a long time and then they stagnate. They kind of plateau. They don't they they get comfortable with the things that they're good at and they don't really try to do much different. And I feel like that's where she's at right now. She's kind of in that plateau where she hasn't really worked on new tricks. She's just tried to keep doing her bread and butter moves. And for me, I I think that every fight I show something a little different. I show a slightly different um, approach or a, a slightly better technique or or just like uh, switching it up a little bit more than I used to do in the past. So I'm still in that learning state where I'm I'm learning new tricks. I'm trying to apply them as soon as I feel good enough to to use them in a fight. And uh, and I feel like every time you see me fight, I'm going to be a better version of myself just because I'm still fresh in the game and I'm still uh, still passionate about learning and and um, putting myself in weird positions in the gym so I can get better at those positions. So uh, so yeah, I, I I don't think I don't think your age stats is gonna hold up. <laughs> <laughs> hey, well I have this one stat in your favor, so let's not let's not make this yeah, a, a lopsided it's conversation. Gonna be a, it's gonna <laughs> be a toss up, but you know, it, like I definitely think I can I can win on both of those sides. Uh, yeah, it's gonna be fun. And uh, you, you mentioned close fights not going your way. Your last one was a good example of that. But I wanted to go back to something else you said, which was um, her effectiveness with the hip throw. Now, women's MMA is in a very embryonic phase still. I mean, it's still such mm-hmm. a young sport. Do you feel like hip throws and head and arm throws, something that have been such an effective tool in a lot of uh, women's MMA fights up until now, are starting to be stifled a lot? That it's kind of a, a dying art uh, in terms of women, women's MMA because all of the fighters have kind of evolved to a point where they can uh, kind of offset that particular move? Yeah, I think uh, I, I think that move, um, you know, if you're really good at it, you can still get it at a high level. And because in women's MMA, you kind of get funneled into your one thing that works, um, especially when you're the smallest person in the gym, you're a lot of times the only girl in the gym, you just keep doing that one thing that works for you. And for Michelle, that's her hip throw. You know, she's, she's gotten really good at it. Um, even, even though it shouldn't work (laughs) against people (laughs) at that level, she's, she's just gotten really good at it. Uh, she, she figured out the timing, she figured out ways to bait it. Um, and, uh, it's, it's like my overhand, like Everyone gets hit with my overhand and I'm sure everyone watch, watches tape and they go, okay, we're going to watch out for that overhand and then bam, they get hit with it, you know? So, uh, so it's, um, you, you figure out your bread and butter moves pretty quickly when you're undersized in the gym, when you're probably the person with not as much experience or not as much strength, uh, in the gym, you, you figure out your go-to moves pretty quickly. So, uh, so yeah, I think, I think that has a lot to do with it as, as, 
as well as just us being young in the sport and and still um you know you're still waiting to see those complete fighters that we've been seeing now in the men's divisions uh most of us are still coming in with one strong skill set and then everything else is supplementary uh so so i think that's that's michelle's strong skill set is her hip throw and her uh, uh her uh, karate kicks and um <laughs> and i definitely think at a certain point people are going to figure it out. I mean, you you actually have like a, a bunch of strong girls coming up in the in the strawweight division, like the the bottom, like I guess fifteen or the fifteen to ten ranked uh, new girls in the strawweight division. They're they're pretty scrappy. They're they're really good. They they have uh they have attacks from everywhere. Um, they're explosive. Like I feel like you're gonna see that new breed of of female fighters really soon in our weight class um so yeah we're we're definitely catching up we're definitely i think we're catching up faster than the other the other uh women's divisions for sure when it comes to um the skill sets that you see in the guys compared to the girls and uh and yeah um yeah michelle's hip throw is gonna be dead soon <laughs> i never really thought about uh size in the gym playing a role in that and, and how that can limit how you're able to train but thank you for that and that's enlightening um yeah. angela i appreciate it main event this weekend is on tsn up here in canada yourself michelle watterson i really appreciate your time thank you You know, I wanted to talk to somebody who has done commentary for M1 Global, Bellator, and UFC, and there was only one person that fit that description, and it's Jimmy Smith, the new host of Unlocking the Cage with Jimmy Smith on Sirius XM Radio every day, 1 to 3 p.m. on Sirius XM Fight Nation, and I'm happy to have him joining me right now. How are you, Jimmy? It's a very narrow criteria. I just just an M1. Also did Strike Force, so I've I've done everything you could possibly think of. Affliction, you name it, I'm ready to go. Yeah, but you're the only guy in the whole world. Like you can say if you put up like a some sort of like certificate in your house saying I am the only person to have ever called all of these different promotions, you are like the one guy. You're you're yeah. you are a uh, an endangered species. It's it's awesome and sad at the exact same time because it's like my career to some degree is almost like a history of shit, you know what I mean? It's like I, I, I go back so far that I've worked for these promotions and other people are like, was that a thing? And like, yeah, yeah, it was an actual thing. They really did that. They're not around anymore. So it's it's like this this old, I don't know, like like a, like a ghost town of MMA, man, my career, everything I've worked for. Well, you didn't cover Yama pit fighting, so I mean, you, at least you, you don't have that one on your belt. <laughs> I do not, thankfully. <laughs> yeah, that that might be the worst MMA event ever produced. I hate this. I mean, I don't think Scott. I guess Scott Farrell was still doing stuff on Sirius XM, but he uh, he used to do a show on Sirius XM, and he was the yes. uh, the ring announcer for Yama Pit Fighting. God, what else? What else was terrible? You remember <laughs> well, that X arm thing? That was, I mean, we're that talking was... MMA here, so I mean, we, we we don't have a very small pool to choose from. I mean, there's there's a it, lot. It, it's very true. But you remember the X arm event that was like fighting and arm wrestling at the same time? I, I gladly do oh. not. Oh my God! I think that might be the the worst combat sport promotion of all time. That was bad. I mean, did you ever call the M1 Night Fights? Did you ever call any of those? No, I did not. They were <laughs> what happened was M1 kind of left behind their UF, U.S. presence, and I stopped stopped working for them. They were still just doing basically team based, country based MMA, where it was Team England versus Team Russia versus Team Brazil, whatever it was. They were still doing that pretty much straight up MMA 
uh, by the time I left and they stopped doing stuff in the U.S. Yeah, so I got I got lucky. I did I did pretty much straight MMA for them. The night fights were awesome though. Like I I mean I know that it's kind of like a a gimmicky thing, but I enjoyed watching them. I mean, it's 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 fun to see. It's fun to gee. I wonder what happened if two knights fought. But oh my god, it's it's just who thought of that? Who who said you know what? We have enough MMA. Let's have night fights on there. Let's do real jousting. Let's do the team MMA. Have you seen that? Yeah, the ones in Poland. That is. uh, I I can't get behind the team fighting. I just think like once one guy's knocked down, you got three guys hitting one guy. I I can't get behind that. I I, like that should not be sanctioned. Right. It's like it's like. If you're the kind of person where MMA just isn't enough for you, or it's just, oh, I just need, you're like, okay, you need to do, like go out in the street and watch just actual violence or something, watch carjackings. I don't know what it takes. Get on YouTube and see train wrecks. If MMA just isn't enough for you, I don't know what to say. You're done with legal fighting. Like, I don't know if there's a single person, maybe Francis, that could like take on three guys because he'd be able to knock them out so quickly. But like, if you took three trained fighters, like even if they've had like one, they're one and zero as professionals. And you had put them against any one fighter, like the three fighters would win in almost any circumstance. So team fighting in that regard, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense because if you're like if your other two guys go down, you're done. We we used to do in my old gym team jujitsu, which like you know it, it was fun, just you know six guys against six guys. And all I ever told them was, all you need to do is tap out the first guy, because then you have the next. And it doesn't matter how many black belts a guy has, how many stripes he has, two or three guys are gonna choke him out. It's just the way it goes. There's nothing you can do about it. So. Imagine – I always thought the worst thing in those team MMA things is watching your friend get knocked out and going, that's it. We lose. Like pretty soon I'm going to get double teamed. Then I'm going to get triple teamed and it's over. Just that sinking feeling of watching one of your teammates go down and knowing you're now outnumbered, that's it. Game's over. Yeah, that's what it must be to be in this team MMA. But uh, I digress. Let's get back to brass tacks here. Uh, our good friend Luke Thomas uh, left SiriusXM. He did a great job uh, all those years that he was on the air, and now you have taken over. You know, I heard he was leaving. I, I thought in the back of my mind it's got to be Jimmy Smith, and here you are. How are you enjoying the gig? I love it. I, I love it. I love it. I love it. It's awesome. I, I was able to fill in for Luke Thomas a lot um, whenever we take vacations. I was the fill-in guy basically for SiriusXM, and I always jump in. Then they got me MMA Tonight on Thursday nights, and – they always had that in the back of their heads. As soon as I joined Sirius XM, they got as soon as something full-time opens up, we'd love to have you. We think you're great, da-da-da. And so I basically got a call that that changed everything around. Hey, Luke's leaving. We want you there full-time. You're going to be there every day. And if having lived a life on the road, which is every time you're done with the show, it's, okay, got to get to the plane, got to do this. I got a couple hours sleep, and then it's this and that. To be able to hear – all right, we'll see you tomorrow. And my producer goes, hey, Jimmy, great show. And I take my headset off and I'm in my living room. It's just, it's worth so much right now with, with everything going on and, and to to be able to, to tell everybody, look, I have this set schedule. It's from my house. And having lived so much where you're, you're living on air, in airplanes, you're living you know, from, from flight to flight, to be able to do something like this is great. And then I have the ability for the first time in my career i'm not tied to a particular promotion where you know as as honest as someone can be as a color commentator you still work for the promotion and a common misconception i think among fans is that there are somehow neutral voices and and they're not it's just the nature of the 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 gig you're not you work for that promotion so i'm free of all that i I can say whatever i want about whomever i want and give my unvarnished opinion and you may not agree with me but what i'm saying i believe i certainly do and so it's, it's just fun to be in that position i gotta say so are you no longer doing Invicta events? Yeah, I can do the occasional. I haven't done one in 
I don't know how many months it's been, partly because uh, – remember Laura Senko, she lives there. you know. So mm-hmm. I, I think they're worried about travel and someone coming in and, and quarantine. So I think they're right now just using people that live there in Kansas City. I live in South Florida. I'd have to fly there. Obviously, Florida is a tough place right now for COVID. So uh, I think it's safer for everybody right now, me just staying at home and doing this. The only commentary I've been doing is – Titan, which is here in Fort Lauderdale, I'm tested every single time I go in there so I can drive there. So uh, the issue right now is travel. I was supposed to do a submission underground for Chael Sonnen, I think, in March. And then it was everything started shutting down. <laughs> and they had my flight through New York and all this stuff. And then we talked. And he's like, look, it's just not safe and, and for you to come out. And, and we just had this conversation about it. And traveling's tough right now. So I'm, I'm really, really fortunate to have the gig I have. But when Invicta comes back, it's not like you can be on radio and be like, you know what, there's a better all-female promotion out there. You're, you're, pretty, you're pretty good in terms of being able to have a, an opinion of that that is, is going to be unvarnished. That's the important part. And I would tell anyone, if Shannon App called me and said, hey, you can do an Invicta show and all this stuff. Great, love to, no problem at all. Uh, when it comes to my unvarnished opinion about Invicta or any other promotion, that's my priority. My priority is my, my daily gig, which is unlocking the cage. And if that upsets a promoter or a fighter or somebody else, sorry, you know, I, I have to stay true to what I'm doing now. And, and anyone who hires me knows that. But I've, I've fortunately or unfortunately, however you want to put it, developed a reputation in my career for for, you know, shooting the truth whenever possible. I'm, I'm a professional. I, I support the promotions I work for, but you're going to get the truth from me. And I think fans have grown to expect that from me and appreciate it. All right. Well, then let's test that theory. Fill in the blanks. The best play-by-play person in MMA is blank. And the best color commentator in MMA is blank. And you can only choose the best one, one of each. Sure. The best one currently working play-by-play John Anik's great. I know. I know it's, it's, it sounds funny because you're going to, you know, probably the biggest one in play-by-play. But Anik is, is is a consummate professional. You know how hard he works. I mean, we've done shows. I remember when, um, uh, you know, Tony Ferguson went out. It was supposed to be, you know, Tony Khabib, and then he went out on April first, and so we had three or four different changes. The guy, I'm not exaggerating at all, didn't leave his room for three days because. That means all the scripts change. That means all the ins and outs and bumps and stuff that's pre-recorded. All that changes. I had to like bring him food. I would call him like, "Hey man, I'm getting <laughs> a sandwich. I want to bring something to your room." He's like, "No, I got room service. Thank you." Like, the guy works harder than anyone else. The best I ever worked with personally, Sean Grandy was, I'm not kidding, amazing as a as a play by play commentator. He was absolutely incredible. Um, and both guys come from the traditional sports world. They are basketball guys originally, the hockey and stuff like that. So. Their timing and their ability to go from subject to subject, it's a skill, and, and they are tremendously skilled. My favorite color right now, that's, that's an interesting question. I've always been a big fan of Dan Hardy. Um, he's one of my favorite, and I, I know he got in a little trouble with, um, you know, with, with their whole Herb Dean situation, but that's part and parcel with Dan Hardy. He's, he's very, very passionate about it, and, and I publicly said yeah, you know, he did step over the line talking to a referee during a show. And I, I was very honest about that, but his – ability to communicate passion and enthusiasm is huge you have to educate on one side which he's great at and then you have to tell the fans you should want to be here i'm sitting here cage side man you should want to be i'm really excited about being here i think dan hardy's incredible in both of those categories yeah i i agree with you on uh on the play-by-play i mean i love moro ronaldo i i mean i I used to work for him so i have a biased opinion Um, and I also think Anik is, of course, phenomenal. Yeah, the first time he said Stipe Miacic on a broadcast, I looked at the person next to me and I said, well, I guess that's how it's pronounced. Because John Anik doesn't get names wrong, ever. So he, ever. Could say, so he could say a name a certain way. And if I've had it in my head a certain way previously, I have to unteach that because I know that he's got it the correct way. 
let me I've talked about this before. If you don't mind me talking about this, it's there are two schools of play by play, right? There is the the traditional stick and ball world, which is John Anik, Sean Grandy, um, Brendan Fitzgerald. He came up doing doing regular sports stuff. Well, so, sort where, of regular sports, yeah. Right, right. But but he came up through the regular. <laughs> I'm just joking. Then, yeah, I remember he was out in Montana doing like radio. Right, yeah, and he stuff. was out in Montana doing, <laughs> doing stuff. But and then there's the more pro wrestling, what Michael Chivalo, right, Mar Ronello, where it's they they're they're big and huge and the big kabosh and more muscles than a seafood platter. And, you know, Oh, mama mia. They are two different sides of play by play. And people generally speaking, gravitate to one or the other. The, the criticism I hear all the time of Anik and Fritz shows, God, they're boring or, Oh my God. You know, it's just, it's like listening to regular sports. The criticism of uh, Maronello and Michael Chivalo is they tend to go over the top so much people don't like the hyperbole. But to me, that's a style thing. Either you like the more pro wrestling mold or you like the stick and ball sports kind of mold. And and usually uh, play-by-play guys are one or the other. Well, that's why I hate having to choose between the two of them because I agree completely with you. I think that they're just two completely different styles. And I feel like John works much better in the three-man booth, whereas Moro in the three-man booth is terrible. Like I, Moro no, needs the mic. Yeah. You have to really and, – and as when you're doing color commentary, one of the things you have to do – is it's almost like you have to get out of the way of your of your your it's like you're in the in a war and you want to get out of the other person the way of the other person's weapon and and I know this is kind of weird but for John Anik he's a sniper right so he will just button a fight very very quickly very very tight that's how they do it in the in the sports world right oh big three point da da da, da. that's it so you got to get away you know two inches right. Then there is Goldie, who's kind of like a shotgun. Oh, and it is all over. The, and you got to get out of the way and not talk during that ending. Shivalo and Maronello are like a grenade. <laughs> I got to be quiet for a good minute as he goes, Mama Mia, it's it. And as a color guy, you got to know how long that space is so you don't run over him and he doesn't run over you. And so it's, 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 it's very much a you know tennis match, but they can hold the ball for as long as they want. You got to wait, or the ball comes right at you and you got to hit it. So that's one of the things you learn because I've worked with all different kinds of styles of color commentators. Is how I'm sorry, uh, play-by-play commentators is is how long you have to get out of their way in a certain situation. There, now, I know it's long, but it's 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 no, really. A I mean, moral, you're right. He has his monologue at the end of every fight, and I think that's what right. the best asset he has is. He's just to think that he's doing that all off the top of his head and reacting on the, on the fly. With so with so much enthusiasm and, and so many um, descriptives and I, I mean he's just he's a, he's a virtuoso and John is too I mean John is in his own way uh, but I want to I want to go back to what we talked about at the very beginning all of the different jobs you've had um, as a, a broadcaster in terms of uh, color um, as a color analyst for MMA um, how much of an aspiration was it for you to get to the UFC like was your goal always like I need to do commentary in the UFC or were you just going job by job because um, your UFC stint, stint lasted about a year, um, and, and I'm just curious to know, was like after that ended, were you completely heartbroken because that was always your goal? You wanted to be the UFC color commentary guy, or was it just on to the next? No, it, it, it was never like, boy, I can't wait to get to you. Like, people have this idea that it was always my goal to get there, and I wasn't satisfied if I didn't. And No, it, it wasn't at all for me. Um, it was this the progression of this opportunity came my way and I took it and it was a big risk at the time. I know that. And I took it and it didn't work out. I wasn't heartbroken because I always wanted to be with UFC. I was heartbroken because this business is 
very, very narrow. It's very, very small. There aren't a lot of opportunities. And it's like musical chairs. And if you're standing up when the music stops and there's no spot for you, there's no spot for you and that's it. And so it wasn't that I was like, oh my God, I left the OC. This is where I always wanted to be. I didn't feel that way at all. But hmm, where am I going to work now? It was really, really right. difficult. It's not yeah, I mean, if if I heard all the time from from people who relatives or friends who don't understand MMA would go, but you know, like NFL broadcasters, I'm like, there are six <laughs> channels that do NFL. Like if you're great, if you're do NFL on Fox and you're a huge name and your contract ends, there are six or seven places you can go. MMA doesn't work that way. It's like being a fighter in the United States. It's it's UFC, Bellator, get a day job. There just there just aren't enough promotions that can pay your bills. It's the same being a commentator. There really isn't anywhere to go if in the United States outside of the UFC and Bellator. And I had both I had worked for both of them, so it wasn't a oh my god my dreams of working the UFC are over. I didn't really care about that. It was hmm there really isn't anywhere for me to go as a commentator. So it was kind of the end of my career, and I had to face that for about. A year, year and a half, I had to go, God, I, I might just be done with this sport. I might have to just move on and, and do something else with my life. It was tough. Were you blindsided when they let you go? Because, I mean, you don't see commentators. I guess Todd Grisham is another example of commentators that stick around for uh, less than yeah. a year's time. It was, no, I, I've been in this business too long to get blindsided. There are things that you know, uh, timing-wise, and one of them is if because I knew it was just a year deal when I when I signed it, and they were transitioning from Fox to ESPN, so no one had a deal past 2018. So I was in the same boat as everybody else. But the way it works, and, and people who haven't been around contracts and entertainment don't understand this, if your contract is up December 31st, and you're not talking by end of September, you're probably gone. And so that was the deal, is that I knew timing-wise that the signs were not good. And so it, I, I, I wasn't that blindsided because I'm not stupid and I've been in this business a long time. So I wasn't blindsided in any way, but there wasn't a whole lot also that I could do about it in the sense of, like I said, it's not like there were a ton of other opportunities where I go, okay, time to move on to something else. Like There just wasn't anything out there. But was I blindsided? No. I mean, I, I, I'm not stupid. I could see the writing on the wall, um, I would say – fall-ish because you know you know how these things are it, it takes a while to work a contract out especially a long-term one so i wasn't blindsided in any sense so you start your show the stars kind of aligned because joe rogan's doing moving over to spotify and probably hey he doesn't need to do any media i mean i don't really need to say he's got to promote that i'm sure spotify doesn't mind him promoting that uh his name <laughs> kind of speaks for himself to. but it, it worked out <laughs> timing wise that both of you are kind of starting new ventures at the same time and he was the first guest on your show um did you just text him and was like hey i'm starting this show i'd love for you to come on and he was like yes Hundred percent. Yeah, everybody at SiriusXM was just stunned. He had never done anything for SiriusXM before, and they were just like, they were just floored. And I went, I texted him and said, "Hey, I'm starting the show, man. Can you be my first guest?" Goes, Dude, I'd love to. I'd be honored. Oh my god, it's great. Da da da. He was thrilled to do it. Actually, he was like, "Oh man, great, awesome. I can help you in any way I can." And he was enthusiastic about it, which which nobody could believe. It was kind of funny because like we stopped, we do our, and he's not used to like having to stop. So we did like a half hour interview and he goes and i'm like yeah you know, you know i had to like cut him off i didn't go like oh we gotta end now and he's like why and i'm like joe i have like commercials and segments he's and he starts laughing he's like i don't have any of that stuff he's used to talking for hours and hours and hours so he could have talked forever but after we were done my producer keeps him on and say hey joe could you do a little like hey this is sirius xm i'm joe rogan you're listening to you know my show and then some general stuff and 
Joe was like, yeah, sure, no problem. Da, da, da. And as soon as he he hung up, whatever, we said goodbye to each other. I told my producer, like, yeah, you weren't wasting that opportunity. He's like, no, no, I was not. He's like, we got a couple bumps we can use for SiriusXM because he'd never been on there before. But it was it was easy. I just, you know, I know Joe and, and he respects me a lot. And uh, I just texted him. He said, yeah, I'd love to do it. That's a, that's a, a veteran producer move. I used to be afraid to do that. I, I used to hate imposing. When I was a producer, I used to produce actually for SiriusXM back in the day. That I used to be so afraid of afterwards being like, hey, can you, like, because they've just done an interview. Like, they've already given you something for free. And now you're asking them for something else for free. But the good producers are the ones that don't have the shame in asking that. I, that was one. I, I never had a problem reaching out for interviews. That was, always, that was never my problem. But asking for that a little extra, uh, it was, that was tough. But, I mean, you, you were in a bad spot there, too, because it's your first show. And you want to follow the format and, and you know, hit your breaks. But you've got Joe Rogan on. And he wants to keep going because he's used to doing three hours at a time. And, like, you've got to think in your back of your head, like, if I want a full hour with him, that would be great, and I'm sure people would be okay with that because it's Joe Rogan. But you know, it's my first day, and I, I don't want to. I don't want to take any rope on my first day. Well, no. Well, first off, we they blocked out a half hour for him. Usually, segment interviews are 15 minutes. They blocked out a whole half hour, so we planned for a half hour. We doubled what we would normally do, and they did a block of commercials that was twice the length in order to fit Joe in. I knew from the beginning, like. They're thrilled to have Joe Rogan on here. If we go 10 minutes over and literally the last segment is five minutes of me going, thanks, everybody, for watching the show. And then they play five minutes of commercials. They don't care. I knew that. I, I had a lot of leeway. So th that didn't bother me at all. And, and having done the show for Luke, Mike, the producer, I already know him. I already knew the people. I know the, the tie. I know all the, the producer, my boss, Mercer Rivas, da, 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 da. So, I didn't feel like, oh my God, those first day jitters. I had already done Luke's show so many times. I already knew everybody. So if I tell, and remember, we can talk, we chat uh, via via Zoom and everything. So I can write in, hey, I need another five minutes with this guest. And they're like, yeah, sure, no problem. They're really on a roll. Jessica, I had her on and she went on about her medical problems and really got deep about her feelings. And, and I went, dude, we got to keep going with this. And he goes, no problem. We'll delay the commercials, da, 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 da. So I know the nuts and bolts of, of the job. So I don't feel that pressure at all. Well, that's the beauty of Sirius XM Radio. It's a kind of a loose format, and I think that that's yeah. why you always hear great interviews on there. I remember once, I think it was, uh, it was back when I was, uh, I used to produce the, uh, the fight show with Mauro Ronaldo, the MMA show with Mauro Ronaldo. Yeah. And we used to have these great segments that would go on. I think there was one where it was Misha Tate and Tara La Rosa were going back and forth for like 30 minutes with each other. Like they were on together. I think Tara La Rosa or Misha called in when they heard the interview. Like they, they, one of them was talking about the other, and it became like this back and forth and it was just radio gold but like when you're on stand on uh, terrestrial radio i guess as they call it sometimes you gotta you gotta hit that break you know we've got to pay the advertiser wanting to hear their their uh ad at whatever 5 55 p.m and you have to you, they, they need to hear that interview or that that spot rather yeah tv's tv's unforgiving when it comes to that like it's too bad if you you, you got to hit the break you got to hit the break they don't care what's going on so it's it's it is different and i do get more freedom and it, it's fun to have that freedom and i i try to make the most of it every time i can man well like joe rogan you've given me about 30 minutes and i appreciate that uh so thanks for this and uh everybody should check out your new show unlocking the cage uh i'm sure sirius has a, a promotion of some sort going on because they always do and uh, i always uh, i always appreciate your time and uh you have a great staff working there with you i mean mike is a fantastic producer marissa is uh, runs a very tight ship and makes a lot of great choices so uh and and you're you of course are one of them so thanks again for your time hey anytime and you're gonna pay me back by getting on my show and breaking down some fights all hey, right for every 30 minutes you do on my show i'll do 60 on yours so absolutely thanks jimmy anytime great <laughs>
Well, he got out of the shower just to speak with me. It's Olivier Aubon Mercier, the Canadian gangster. I'm sorry to interrupt your shower, sir. I know that uh, it's an important part of your day. Yeah, no, it, it is. I have a new apartment right now, and uh, the shower is great. You know, the, I have this uh, this bench in the shower, so I was just sitting there naked and getting uh, all the, the water on me. Uh, you, uh, you call it short, you know? Well, I, I don't know if you need to be that descriptive, but I'm not going to uh, in, interrupt a Canadian gangster while he's in his process. But uh, you're now a PFL fighter. What's that experience been like for you this year? Because, I mean, you look at the different boxing promotions are starting back up, Bellator's back up, UFC is going, but we haven't heard much from the PFL. Uh, has it been frustrating for you to be kind of on the sidelines this year, or is it kind of a little bit better knowing what's going on in the world? Uh, yeah, for sure it's a little bit fr- uh, frustrating, but... Uh... I always see, I always, uh, like everybody is in the same uh, bucket right now. So, I, like it is fr- frustrating, but at the same time, I uh, like I feel lucky that I was good with my money uh, before. So, I, I'm not in trouble right now. So, um, I would like to fight for sure. Right now, I'm trying to work a little bit more uh, to have like a, a side job to, to, to get some money in, but like the life is good. I'm happy. I mean, man. and I think that's the that's the that's the main goal, you know. But uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to fights. Uh, I thought I was going to be a millionaire this year, and uh, <laughs> I won't. <laughs> Thanks God, Trudeau's helping me. <laughs> Well, I mean, Faraz is not just a coach in terms of martial arts. He's also a financial coach. He's told all you guys to go and buy cryptocurrency, and I think all you guys did very well. Oh, yeah, yeah, fuck. Yeah, <laughs> Faraz was the first one who told me, like, it basically pushed me to uh, to buy some uh, Bitcoin, like, I think, five years ago. But um did a little mistake. He, he told me that when the, there was a the bubble, you know? So, <laughs> so yeah, I think the bubble... Um, uh, I think he w- went up to 20 something and I got it at maybe uh, <laughs> like something at fi- like 15 and got got down at 3000. So I was like, ah, shit, God damn for us. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully, but, hopefully yeah, you, yeah. you hung on to it a bit longer because it's gone back up, hasn't it? Yeah, a little bit. I think it's at 12 right now. Yeah, it was like 12. I think okay. it's at 10 right now. So you're doing okay. You're doing all right. Mm. Uh, so yeah, yeah. have you have you been uh, been doing a lot of training during this time, or have you been um, a little bit less active in the gym? Um, I've been a little bit less active right now because, I, I, like I said, I was moving to my new apartment, so it was pretty hard with the schedule. But now I'm coming back to uh, training uh, like f- full on. Uh, I'm doing one training a day now. I want to do two training a day. That would be my uh, the, the, that would be my goal. Uh, so I hope next week I will, I will be able to do that. Now, there's been rumors about uh, shows being uh, taking place late this year in the PFL. Have you heard anything about that? And are they looking at having you on one of those shows if you have? No, no, uh, I didn't hear about that, but uh, I'm happy. If you... <laughs> Thanks, God. If it's, if it's true, uh, I will be happy, you know. <laughs> but no, I didn't know you're the first one who told me that. There have been rumors. Um, there's nothing concrete, but there, there's been talk that uh, late this year they, they're going to try to put on. There won't be tournament shows, but they'll, they'll just have one-off events. Oh, wow. Uh, and where? In, in the U.S.? I think in the U.S., yeah. 
Okay. No, I, I didn't heard about it, but uh, I would re uh, I would be really really happy if it, if it happened. Have the PFL spoken to you about whether or not you could fight elsewhere? Like, are, are you locked into a contract with them, even though they're not putting on events this year? Um, no, I didn't ask, but I feel like if I want to do like jujitsu match or probably even uh, like a bu- boxing match uh, match in uh, in Montreal, I, that would be okay. Um, I don't feel the need to fight elsewhere right now uh, in MMA. Uh, so no, we we didn't really talk about it. And uh, I don't really feel the need. I think, I think I'm just going to wait, get better, and uh, be ready for next season. You know? Who do you think are the biggest threats to you at 155 uh, pounds in the PFL? Uh, I really like uh, Nathan Schultz. But there's a lot of, of name right now. But I think Nathan Schultz would be a, a, a really good fight. I really like Loic too. Uh, Loic, that I don't know the <laughs> the the last name, but uh, I think those two guys are really really good. Uh, but there's a lot of uh, of good fight in the uh, in the 155 uh, um, uh, category. Uh, I think it's uh, every year it's getting better, and I think this year was a really really great category. It's just too bad that's going to be next year that's going to happen. And you signed with them for the sole potential of making a million dollars. And I, I mean, I heard you did an interview on PFL Prep, or uh, sorry, what's it called? Prep uh, something. Uh, it's on the PFL's oh, yeah. YouTube. Yeah. Prep Point. Yeah, Prep Point on the uh, PFL's YouTube. And I heard you talking about how you like the fact that you're rewarded on performance in the PFL. It's not like you're not a charismatic guy, and, you know, you don't have uh, uh, a good character, you know, and, and all of that. But when it comes to um, the PFL, if you win, you make a million dollars if you win the tournament, right? It's not about how you promote or anything along those lines. No, I, I like that for sure. Uh, like, I will, like my goal is to win, the, um, uh, to win the, the tournament, but my goal too is to promote PFL. I really think they're, uh, the concept of the, the tournament is really great. I really like the, the organization. So uh, for me... Uh, I think the two main goals is really to to win the million dollars and to help PFL to be known in Quebec. Uh, that that would be the my main two goal. Yeah, there's a difference though because in the UFC you have to promote Olivier and you have to be talk about how Olivier is great and how Olivier wants to be the champion. But in the PFL you're more about the concept and and um, making sure that everybody watches because they know that this is a high level of fighter. I've always said that I think that if you took every fighter in Bellator and every fighter in the PFL and you graded them that if you took like the median, the mean grade of the PFL, that you have a higher caliber of fighter overall. Yeah, I think so. Uh, I think the Bellator have a pretty good fights though, uh, pretty good fighter. Um, but fudge, I, I really think at one fifty five PFL, it's uh, like it's a great pool of talent. It's uh, it's really great, and every a lot of people are different too. Um, so I was I was really really excited of, of, uh, on fighting in this tournament, um, and I think with uh, with me, uh, I think with um, uh, uh, Johnny Case, I think they, they signed. Uh, I think there was a lot of great great name that would have been like a good good show, a really good show. Uh, but you know, COVID. So is George St Pierre fighting Khabib Nurmagomedov next year? Yeah, I, I'm doing sprint with him right now. 
uh, doing sprint with GSP, and I told him that I'm gonna dress uh, with you know a tracksuit with the two line here everywhere, just to look a little bit Russian. <laughs> so <laughs> it would be like a little bit uh, uh, more focused when he when he run because I always beat him, you know, because I'm really really fucking fast. <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, no, I don't I don't think it's gonna happen. Um, I think uh, GSP is happy with uh, his retirement. I think he's a. Uh, I think he always have the little, you know, the little seed there, but it's gonna just stay like this, a little, little seed, nothing more. Uh, I think uh, he understand that um, it was a long break he did, and I think he understand that he's really, really happy with the life he have right now. But at the same time. I'm. Uh, I should not speak uh, on his, on his behalf. He, he he should say that. Well, can you tell me what he's walking around at right now? Are you guys similar weight? His weight. Uh, I think we are similar. Yeah, I think he's a little bit uh, bigger. Uh, but right now I'm really small, so uh, I would say he's a little bit bigger. I think I'm I'm at one seventy five right now. So he's um, probably ten pounds heavier. I would say. So he's about 185 at this point. God damn! I don't know, man. <laughs> I don't ask. <laughs> Bring a scale next time you race with them. That, that, that's what I want to know. It's the information we all need. <laughs> but no, I don't know. I would say that a lot of people say I look bigger in a, in picture, but uh, if you we we see uh, each other in person, you can see like the thickness is really uh, is thicker than me. You know. Um, but yeah, I would say in a, in a, in a picture, you look a little bit smaller than me. Um, you, you, you casually, dropped, small, right? you casually dropped a very interesting point there though. You said that you are faster than George St. Pierre and that when you run with him, you beat him in races. So if you guys raced a hundred times, how many times would you beat him? Um, I would say that 200 meters, uh, I'm really good, but, uh, like, you know, the, the start, uh, just the, the first acceleration. He's beating me so freaking easily. Uh, so in a, like let's say a, a race, a thirty meter, a thirty meters a race, he would beat me one hundred times, and I would say two hundred meters a race, I would probably beat him uh, every time too. So, but at the same time, maybe he's just faking, you know? Maybe he's just. Uh, He's just trying to boost my confidence. <laughs> like I, he's, he's really a nice person, so that's pretty probably it, you know. So does he ever like shoot a double on you after you beat him in one of these races? Like because he's angry, he, well, he wants to win. He's a very competitive guy. Yeah, yeah I know, but uh, no, he don't. The, <laughs> and now I, he's uh, he's really happy that I win. So I'm starting to think that it was all fake, just to boost my confidence. <laughs> so what does he say to you after you win one of these races? Uh, I don't know, man. He, he's just like, oh yeah, oh, I'm getting old. I'm getting old. Wink, 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 wink. <laughs> but yeah, no, I'm starting to think it's uh, it's all comedy. This thing, just for me to 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 boost my confidence. <laughs> well, that's something that George would do. He's a very humble guy, right? He wants to he wants to make you feel better about yourself. But you said if you did a thirty meter dash, he would he has the burst that he would he would beat you every time. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's, uh, he's so much better than me uh, in the, the, the first, like, a couple steps. He's a really explosive guy, and I think uh, we, sh- each- 
we we saw it when he was fighting. You know, his double leg was uh, was something else, and uh, the same thing when he when he started the race, it's like a train. You know, um, so yeah, he beat me every time uh, the thirty meters. So are there any American fighters that are able to train the TriStar right now? Like, how does that whole thing work out? Like, are they allowed to cross the border and train? Yeah, I think... Um, uh, who Who is... I think Spicely is here. Uh, who else is here? I think Andrew Sanchez is here. I think he just came back from the U.S. He was able to come back. To come back. But other than that, I'm not sure... But you know the, these guys were were living for a long time in Montreal, and I think uh, it, it it was hard to go to come back, but uh, they did it. Well, that's good news. Andrew Sanchez looked fantastic in his last fight, and Eric got oh. Eric got released for kind of a silly reason. It seemed like he was uh, um, had trouble losing weight because he was taking um, medication that stemmed from his previous fight. Yeah, no, Andrew looked uh, fabulous. I really like his um, his skill, and I think uh, the fifty thousand was uh, good too. And uh, I'm so happy for him. God, he he, he works so hard, um, and he's a really great uh, partner uh, in training. And uh, yeah, like you said, Spicely, it was a kind of a weird release. Um, but uh, yeah, fuck. At the same time, I think uh, he's gonna come back. You know. We well, signed with Taura MMA, which is a Brazilian promotion that has a lot of really good fighters. Um, I was surprised at the, the roster that they put together. It's quite uh, tremendous. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I won't lie to you. I, I don't know the, the organization, but I heard this in a good promotion. And um, I don't know who is his next, next fight, but I think he, it's a good fight, his next fight. So um, yeah, I just hope he's going to fight one or twice and then go back in the UFC I uh, would like to see him there again I think he deserves it so you've told me that you don't watch a lot of uh, the UFC but you know right now we're in the middle of a pandemic I'm sure not going out on Saturday nights are you watching more UFC now on Saturdays or are you just doing other stuff no for uh, the last year I was uh, watching every UFC um, and I was watching even other shows but since I'm moving and I don't have my freaking uh, sofa um, it's pretty hard to get a sofa right now, so I don't have a sofa, and I, I won't have a sofa for the next month. So um, I, I don't watch anything right now. I don't watch uh, any TV shows. I, yeah, it's it's pretty sad. <laughs> so I, I'm training at the uh, uh, at the same time. That's good, but uh, I didn't watch the last two or three uh, UFC, uh, which is uh, it's too bad. I heard it was a pretty good. Um, pretty good uh, event but um, I did uh, you know s since uh, I have to uh, to make a little bit of money I did an event uh, last month it was the first time I did an event so it was a pretty big event but well not a big event but uh, an event where I was shooting the UFC on a wall outside and uh, people could uh, come and uh, watch it with us it was a uh, it was a lot of fun, but that was uh, the last pay per view, and I think that's the last show I I saw. Uh, so no, not a lot of uh, of fighting uh, right now this month. So if you had been watching for the last year, do you have a favorite fighter to watch? Is there somebody in the UFC that uh, you you watch and you're like, wow, I, I should try to emulate this guy's style, or one that you just really enjoy uh, getting to see compete? Yeah, I I won't, I, I won't be. Um, 
uh, really particular, but I think Gagey, <laughs> I really like Gagey this year. I like uh, how, um, how he came back. I mean, I think he lost twice and then came back and became a champion. I think that was really amazing. And I like his style. I mean, uh, it's, it's, it's nice to see his uh, evolution, uh, how he was um, a li- little bit uh, too aggressive maybe two, three years ago. And now he's really calm. Uh, really smart in the the octagon. I really like his style, and I think he can he could be a really good threat for uh, for Khabib. Um, and my other uh, other favorite fighter it's uh, Habib. So I t- I'm really looking forward for the their fight. Um, uh, I hope it's gonna happen. I I hope it's not like uh, Ferguson and Khabib. So <laughs> well, this is the first time it's been booked. So let's let's cross it. Let's not let's not even talk like that, Olivier. Let's. If there's one yeah. fight I could watch for the rest of the year, it's that fight. I can't wait to watch that one. Yeah, that would be. Uh, it's probably the the fight that I'm the most excited for a really, really long time. I think the last fight that I was uh, excited like that was uh, I've been against uh, McGregor. You know. Yeah, for sure. Um, do you think it's possible to fight Gaethje? I mean, you're a 55er, without being nervous, like without being like having a lot of worries about fighting him because he's just such a, a violent fighter. I mean, for lack of a better word. Yeah. Uh, if it's possible, I don't know for me, uh, for, of, of course it won't be possible. Um, but I think, uh, I think fight, fighting Gagey, it's uh, you have to be ready to, uh, to lose some, uh, some year in your, uh, in your life. <laughs> you have to sacrifice, sacrifice a lot if you want to win this fight. Um, so I think he's a, he's a good, he's a good fighter and he's a scary fighter too. Have you ever had a fight where you weren't nervous? Um, I feel some, I'm always nervous, but I feel sometime I, I'm cutting too much the nervousness when I come in the, the octagon. Uh, I'm a little bit too much calm, and I think that played a little bit against me. Um, so uh, I'm still uh, trying things, you know, when uh, when I fight. Um, but normally, when I come in the the octagon, I'm a little bit too much calm. I, fi- I feel. Well, it's funny, uh, Charles Jordan, who uh, your fellow countryman, he told me that uh, he he wants to fight guys that he's terrified of. He wants to fight guys that he is afraid to face. Because he, mm-hmm. he feels like that makes him fight better. Yeah. Charlie's a weird dude. <laughs> well, coming from you, I mean, that means something. So I, I'm sure he can appreciate it. <laughs> ah, come on. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's always a pleasure speaking with the Canadian gangster, catching up with you. Hope we get to see you fa- uh, face off in the, in the PFL soon. And uh, I wish you the best of luck in trying to become uh, Quebec's newest millionaire. Yeah. Damn. Like too bad I'm so close of being like a, a only fan, uh, to start an only fan account right now. Ah, well, I mean, uh, lots of subscribers I hear. Yeah, dude. <laughs> well, if they did Canadian Millionaire Matchmaker, would you want to be a contestant on it after you win the PFL tournament? A contestant? Uh, uh, sorry, what's the uh, question? Mil- millionaire Matchmaker. It's like a reality show where the, you you meet the, oh, okay. the woman of your dreams who's looking to to meet a millionaire. Oh yeah, well if if it uh, if it doesn't work, I, I'm gonna go there. So it's uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, why not? <laughs> All right, uh, Olivier. Always love catching up with you. Hope to talk to you again soon, my friend. Okay, see you.
I'm now joined by Huntsville's own Kyle the Monster Nelson. Almost the end of the cottage season. All, all of the, the folks who come and bug you up in Huntsville are, are almost uh, ready to depart. Is that exciting for you? Yeah, yeah. You know, usually Labor Day weekend is kind of the, the end of it, end of, uh, you know, the tourist season. So, uh, yeah, everything will start calming down a little bit in Huntsville now. Well, that's good. I'm, I'm sure that that's, uh, that's a relief to, to you and the other, the other folks there. Although, uh, I, from what I understand, there's a, uh, a watch party for you uh, in Muskoka uh, coming up this, uh, this coming Saturday. So that's, uh, that's fun. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, one of my, my sponsors, Mussolini's, is having a watch party for me. And uh, yeah, I mean, you know, the tourists are, uh, you know, a big part of, uh, you know, kind of the economy in Huntsville. So we definitely need them and enjoy having them there. But uh, yeah, I mean, Huntsville is not a super big town. So, you know, when we blow up with, uh, with lots and lots of tourists, you can get uh, pretty packed there in, in our little town. Were there concerns about people coming and bringing uh, COVID-19 from the bigger cities to, to Huntsville? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think um, of the the positive tests that we have got in Muskoka and Huntsville, um, you know, the majority of them were, were um, cottagers coming up from, from places like Toronto and stuff like that. So we didn't really have a whole lot of um, uh, COVID tests kind of originating in Huntsville. Um, so now I think we've had uh, around 10 or 12 um, originally from Huntsville. Um, over the the course of this uh, the whole pandemic. Well, wow, so that's not a very big number. But uh, as a native Torontonian, I apologize for uh, the folks bringing uh, the the virus to uh, Huntsville. That's unfortunate. But y- you've been training in Stony Creek for the most part. Um, obviously, going to the gym, which I guess is about two hours from where you live, and then training with uh, a bunch of people. Did that stop you from going home? Did you have to stay in Stony Creek for some time, or did you just stay in Huntsville and train there? Uh, no, yeah. So definitely when, when uh, you know, this, everything first hit, um, I just stayed in, in Stony Creek. Um, I was down there when, when everything kind of was happening. And um, yeah, I have a, a young young son. Well, I have two young sons at home, but one is uh, about seven months now. Um, so yeah, we just decided I'd stay in Stony Creek. So I, I stayed down there um, for the first month or so, maybe, maybe a month and a bit um, until stuff started to settle down a little bit. And we kind of understood a little bit more about coronavirus. And then I would start going back uh, on weekends. And, and again, just we're just really seeing my family not uh, going out or anything. Um, even when I'm in Stony Creek, all I do is I, I train, eat and sleep. So I'm not going out, uh, you know, to the mall or doing anything like that anyway. So I think my my chances of ever catching it are pretty low. Was that difficult for you? Um, having to be away from your family for that long, knowing they were like a two hour drive from you? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, you know, it's it's always difficult um, training kind of Monday to Friday and, and only seeing them all weekend. Um, but yeah, going going that long uh, amount of time, especially with my, my newborn son, he was born in February. So, you know, it was it was a long, long period of time to be away from him. And, and now that, uh, you know, I did a mini training camp there in, in June. So I spent a chunk of time away from them. Then I did a five week training camp for this fight and, and spent a lot of time away from them again. So it's, it's been, um, you know, it's been a long, long couple months. Um, but yeah, I'm excited to, to get this fight over with, get the quarantine over with and, and get to see everyone again. You had a fight lined up with Sean Woodson and, uh, unfortunately canceled due to, um, visa complications. How prepared were you for that fight? I guess that was a short notice call and you said, yeah, let's do it. Yeah, I mean, I was in great shape. Um, you know, I, I've been staying in shape since uh, my last fight in September of last year. 
So I've been ready to go since then, and I've just been improving ever since. And then when the when the whole coronavirus pandemic hit, I just kind of doubled down and and you know obviously couldn't train the same way, but I could still work on my my physical fitness and stuff like that. So I felt like I was even getting in better shape, um, in the hopes that there was uh, maybe some opportunities that came up once the UFC got going again. So uh, when I got that opportunity, I jumped on it, and uh, yeah, I was in great shape. You know, I think I would have. Uh, you know, beat Sean Woodson, um, you know, pretty easily. So it's definitely, definitely a fight I'm still interested in after this fight if, um, you know, if the UFC wants to put it together. You've been doing a lot of 10K runs. So uh, I'm guessing your endurance is probably doing well. You cut a lot of weight to make 45, but uh, I don't know how much that affects your performance on the night of a fight, given that you're fighting, whatever, 24, 30 hours later. But uh, I'm sure that the running is probably going to help you in, inside the cage uh, if the fight gets into deep waters in the third. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And again, I've, I've always run a fair bit, um, you know, just to, to make weight and stuff. But this time we've, we've definitely stepped it up and, and now we're adding a, a ton of cardio. So, I mean, everybody knows I come with power and, and I hit hard. Um, but, you know, any hopes of, of me getting tired towards the end, end of the fight, um, you know, it's not going to happen. So I'm going to be able to go 110% the whole time. So there's nowhere, uh, you know, Billy's going to be able to find a break. How long does it take to comfortably be able to run a 10K run every day? Like where, where on the first day where you run your 10K run, where you're gasping for air, and I'm sure that you have to slow down somewhere along the lines to where you're kind of in cruise control. Are you there yet? Are you at the, the, the point where a 10K run is like a second nature for you? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, even before the training camp, you know, I was still running about uh, 10K. I would just do it a couple times a week. Uh, and then when we got into the fight, then I really, really stepped it up. So it wasn't uh, too big of a, a leap. Um, you know, I've been working with the sport lab now for uh, like 10 years and they do all my nutrition and my, my recovery and stuff like that. So they've been having me, you know, do runs for a long time. They've really turned me into a machine. Have you seen any bears in Huntsville when you've been on any of these runs? Uh, no, not on the runs. Uh, you know, I see them, see them every now and then, but yeah, I haven't run into one on the run yet. What's the closest encounter you've had with a bear in Huntsville? Uh, maybe about 12 feet. Um, I went out, went out my front door and, and I live, uh, just in the outskirts of Huntsville now, right? I just went out the front door and there was a, there was a great big black bear, I think, uh, looking for garbage and stuff. The black bears are kind of afraid of people though, right? Like they, we're not talking about a gigantic bear. Um, but, uh, what, what, how did it react to seeing you? This one just growled. This, this guy was, was pretty big and he didn't, he didn't seem too scared at all. Usually, yeah, if you make enough noise and stuff, they'll, they'll run away. But um, this one, I think maybe because it was getting close to hibernation time and stuff like that, maybe it was a little more aggressive. But uh, yeah, it was definitely, um, definitely not what I had expected. But part of you, I'm sure, wanted to go into Khabib mode and shoot a double on him. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It'd be a pretty cool story to choke out a bear. <laughs> or it could be a pretty bad story. <laughs> Depends how it goes. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Billy Quarantillo, tell me about him and uh, and what you've learned about him from watching uh, any sort of tape or your coaches watching tape on him leading up to this fight. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's, he's a well-rounded fighter. Um, definitely more of a jiu-jitsu guy. Um, no, it doesn't seem like a super physically imposing guy. Um you know, he, he kind of weathers the storm in the first round or two and then tries to come back later on in the fight. Um, and yeah, but I mean, striking wise, I think I've got him pretty beat. Uh, wrestling wise, again, I think I've got him beat. And then jujitsu wise, I think my jujitsu is a better style of jujitsu for MMA. I think he's kind of got more of a, a gi jujitsu style uh, that won't work very well against me. So 
I'm I'm very excited for this fight because yeah, I think I can take this fight wherever I want and I can uh, finish him wherever I want. And depending on how things go, obviously, how quickly would you like to turn it around? I know they're going to Fight Island for about five weeks. Is that something you are interested in, in going uh, to Abu Dhabi and being part of those festivities? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm looking forward to, to trying to spend some time with my family after this fight. But I mean, if they can get me a fight right away and, you know, I can avoid doing a whole camp, training camp, um, you know, just kind of roll this one right into the next. I would love to to build some momentum and do that. Do you have an opponent at 145 that you think would be a great matchup for you? Like somebody that you've looked at and been like, man, I'd love to get matched up with that person. Uh, you know, pretty much every, every 145 I watch fight lately, I, I see they've got, um, you know, everyone in the UFC has got a lot, a lot of skills and stuff. And when I'm watching guys fight, I really find, um, you know, spots and holes and places where I can, I can take advantage of, of them and, and really, you know, beat them up and win the fight. So I'm, I'm just excited to get in there. I just want to get in there with, with all of them. And so really all that is is just getting more fights and, and getting in there and, and showing everyone what I can do. Have you been able to become a full-time fighter in the UFC? Um, Not uh, like I train, train full-time, but uh, I've got a couple other sources of income. Um, yeah, it's not quite um, quite enough yet to, to cover all the bills, but I mean... Uh, one of the biggest problems is obviously I haven't fought since September last year. So if I was able to fight um, a little more regularly, you know, I think I'd be able to, you know, cut away some of the extra extra jobs and income and stuff. But uh, that will come with time. Is that the goal? Is the goal to be able to focus on it full time? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the goal would be to uh, to focus on it full time, you know, get up to the win the championship and be able to kind of set myself up and my family up. Um, you know, to, to be able to live a comfortable life. Uh, this isn't a super long career. Uh, I'm 29 now, so I've got, you know, six or seven years left. So I've got that time frame to kind of, you know, make enough money and, and you know, build, build myself up, whereas I can hopefully, uh, you know, find something I enjoy after this sport and, and do that comfortably without really worrying about having to cover the bills and, and taking whatever job I can. Now, I don't know who made the monster logo for you for the for your new uh, apparel, but they deserve a raise. It looks really cool. I've got to say, I saw some pictures on Instagram of you wearing it, Diana Balbito wearing it, and uh, whoever designed it did a great job. Yeah, yeah, that was Revel Design, just, uh, you know, a little company in Huntsville. I, I went to high school with the guy that runs it, and uh, yeah, so, you know, just locals helping local. You know what? It's weird. Like, people try to get a little complicated with uh, their their graphic design, but that's yours is cool. It looks like a, like a monster... Like almost like a monster claw with, you know, the M for your nickname. And it's, it's simple and it looks awesome. Yeah, exactly. I wanted to, wanted to keep it simple. Um, you know, I didn't want to get too complicated. And, and yeah, he was able to come up with a few designs. And then we kind of settled on this one. And yeah, it's been perfect. Where can people get monster uh, gear if they want to support uh, Kyle Nelson? Is it readily available yet? Uh, yeah, so it's just uh, usually I go through either direct message me on Facebook or Instagram. And then, uh, yeah, I've got, you know, toques or beanies, uh, baseball caps, T-shirts, hoodies, all that stuff. Cool. People can follow you on uh, Twitter, the underscore underscore monster. What's your uh, Instagram handle? Is it the same? Uh, Instagram is the monster 705 underscore UFC. And then Facebook is just Kyle the Monster Nelson. All right, Kyle. Well, thanks so much for your time. I appreciate you repping the 705. And uh, hope to speak with you again soon. Best of luck this weekend. Yeah, thank you very much.
Thanks for tuning in to this week's TSN MMA show. Appreciate the time of all of our guests, Michelle Watterson, Angela Hill, Olivier Aubin-Mercier, Jimmy Smith, Kyle Nelson. Appreciate all of you. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll be back next week to recap UFC Fight Night, Watterson versus Hill, and to preview what I think is one of the bigger UFC Fight Nights that we've had in some time, Colby Covington versus Tyron Woodley. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in.